why you know we're disappointed in the long game blah blah but this is not a celebration of joe biden as much as it is a celebration of how destroyed just completely and totally destroyed all the do-nothing schmucks that have been holding us back are right now in this moment just completely showing their asses just completely showing their true selves Sparky Abraham, who now is able to work full-time for the Debt Collective because he was able to pay off his loans because of this moratorium. Break it down on Rising. This has been a really good week on Rising. Pretty much every single panel today I thought was blockbuster. Every single conversation, every single segment, there was, it was a really heavy criminal justice day. Alex Kratzakis, I'm so sorry, I just butchered that. But you know, he was just on our show, Quality Alex. He's so amazing, Alex. They had a great interview today. We had a great debate with Astra Taylor today. It got a little intense. You can play a clip and talk about it today if you want. But I just think we need to just, we get so few W's. And I know this is a partial W, it's more like a V. <laughs> but let's just, let's just enjoy this moment for a second. Okay, all right. And of course, we are also here to talk about today's episode where Ross Barkin was so generous with his time and breaking down in granular detail everything that's been going on in the New York primaries. I confess I had not been paying as close attention as I usually do uh, to congressional politics in part because I think we're all a little checked out and over it. But 
because it is New York and because it is, you know, my old districts at play, I, I typically would have followed it more closely. Longtime listeners know that I covered the Bayoral race very, very closely last summer. And I think probably better than anybody else in this space. We, I, I listened to every debate, spent hours and hours and hours parsing through the candidates, gave early warnings about Eric Adams, and here we are. So I'm just here to say um, I'm having a, a little bit of a good one, a little bit of a good one, and I hope you're enjoying it too. Uh, let's start taking some callers. Dade, what's on your mind? Anna, how's it going? How are you doing? Happy Thursday. Happy, happy, happy Thursday to you. So I just had a question to you. Um, I know that you have a law background, and I've been seeing a lot of people talking about this uh, executive action going to the Supreme Court and the Chevron principle and the non-delegation doctrine. And I was just curious about um, how you think it's going to end up playing out with the legal aspect. Over student debt cancellation? Yes. I don't think it's going to be an issue. You don't think there will be an issue? No. It's the exact same authority. If they make an issue out of the debt cancellation, they have to make an issue out of the legality of the entire moratorium that's been going on for two years. It's the exact same identical authority. So I, people are going to bitch and moan and complain, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But this is legally sound. It just is. I'm sorry. And that's not because I'm not speaking as a legal ex- expert. I'm talking as someone who has been having a robust conversation about this topic for years Someone who has the infinite faith and confidence in Bernie Sanders' policy team and the lawyers on that policy team. This is just, it is what it is. Now, we live in a world where all kinds of illegal, perverse political things happen that get in the way of real progress. So I'm not counting anything out. But there is no, there should be no doubt in your mind this is absolutely legal. And they absolutely have the authority to do this. And to the extent that Nancy Pelosi, mama bear, viper that she is, was walking around trying to act as though... Biden didn't have this authority and has had to turn on her heel and revise her past statements today and yesterday. Ignore her because she was always a bad faith actor. Well, that's uh, that's really great news because, you know, like the skepticism that I normally apply makes me feel like, oh, you know, there's no way that will get through. But to hear you be so optimistic and to know that you are um, educated on, on this, that's, that's good news. And I'm happy to hear that. Um, I just had one more thing to offer. Yeah, if yeah. if you don't mind, if I could bring up force the vote, if you would rather not, I don't no, mind. I, look, Dade, it's other people in other places and other podcasts that groan and fetch when force the vote comes up. But this is a safe space, Dade. This oh, is a space where you can always t- ask me about force the vote. <laughs> well, sure. I just wanted to say, if I could just take a short minute, there's a context uh, that surrounds force the vote that I feel like um, gets overlooked or not talked about often which is basically um, the end game aspect of what was really like a 10 year movement. And if I could just take like 20 seconds and, and speed run through it, but I feel like you can trace it back to Chank and the Young Turks when he steps down MSNBC and the Young Turks becomes incredibly popular and a trailblazer online. And around 2011 to 2014, it has to be said that the Wolf Pack was what he was pushing and campaign finance reform was a really big part of that messaging that was really prevalent online. I feel like that's a really big part of the context that set the floor for Bernie Mm. in 2016, who obviously ran on the same message with the average donation, $27, etc. But so many people have been primed for years by the Young Turks who had been talking about that same topic. And then 
after Bernie was robbed in 2016 and went on to endorse Hillary. It's like that was kind of the first hiccup. But that momentum, that energy was still there, which ended up creating the Justice Democrats and what we now call the squad. But it was that post Bernie energy that kind of got them in. But at the time, it was always said, well, now's not the time to really fight within the Democratic Party because there's this unique, historical, unique evil in Trump that we have to unite against. And that was always a reasonable argument until the next election. We all know how the primary plays out with Bernie and Biden. But regardless of that, when once Biden wins, it was like the teleological endpoint of a 10-year movement that had begun so long ago that then it was finally the moment where it was like, okay, well, Trump is out. So now all of these things that we've been talking about for really years, it's now, you know, it's like now is the time, you know? And, and I, so I just wanted to bring that up and say that I think there's really a 10 year context that begins with the young Turks. And it's ironic because they would end up kind of being a voice against force the vote movement. But um, I just wanted to offer that and, and, mm-hmm put that perspective out there uh thank you for taking my question and i'm happy to hear that you're optimistic about it and um keep on doing the things thank you dave thank you so much so much for calling in and i also i appreciate you bringing up um campaign finance reform because it is an issue that's been kind of underemphasized in this moment for myriad reasons some you know legitimate and some unfortunate but it was an integral part of both Bernie campaigns, right? We didn't always call it like a conversation about campaign finance reform, but the fact that he was able to out fundraise every other person in the race with small dollar donations, I think was a big part of why people had so much faith in him. And obviously it was a big part of why he had the messaging he did because he literally was not bought. So um, I think you're right that focusing more on that particular issue will help the left to continue to grow support and confidence as this realignment, this kind of terrifying, but potential filled realignment continues to happen. And thank you again for calling in. All right, Chris Brown, not that Chris Brown (laughs) calling in, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Oh, okay. Chris Brown, you might've accidentally um, taken yourself out of the game, get back in the queue and I'll call you up. Day, long time no chat. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Can you hear me? I can. Yes, I missed you so much. I missed you too, Day. How are you feeling on this Thursday afternoon? You played the perfect song. Either (laughs) you could have played that or ODB's Got Your Money, and either way, I would have been happy. (laughs) But Nothing has brought me more joy than today. I feel like people don't realize this is like one of the, I have, I'm very fortunate and blessed. I don't have any student debt and I paid Mm -hmm. the rest off last year. Mm -hmm. And I tell people paying it off radicalized me to realize just how much of a scam it is. And so nothing, there's no other political hill I would die on like student debt. So (laughs) I've been very, all day. but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to commend you. Well, one, because I didn't get to talk to you before. So I want to commend you for your debate if you can call it a debate, that you have a jank, you are, yeah, a nun, a saint. I don't know how you do it. Um, It's like, I don't comment often on videos or like get on posts and stuff, but I was like, no. That was like one of the few times I had to like, let me go in, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also, I just want to kind of know like, where did this $10,000 number come from? Because that's the part that doesn't get me. And then to make a distinction between that and Pell Grant, but I'm like, isn't the Pell Grant government held debt? So that's kind of silly. You could have been there. That's nothing new. I don't know. 
That is such a good question, Day. And I brought that up in today's radar over at the Hill. I'm not trying to be funny, but I really do be putting all of the information in the radars to the extent that I can. And that's such a good question because <clears throat> that $10,000 number was literally the number that the loan servicers came up with. Wow. The loan servicers came up with that number. Wow. That's what they were pitching Joe Biden on. And reading between the lines, I think that what's happening is pretty clear. The loan servicers just want the moratorium to end, right? They mm. are profiting off their ability to get a small fee for servicing each of our 44 million loans that exist in this country, right? So as long as the moratorium is going, they're making no money. Yeah. So they're willing to take a small hit. Now, we all know how this interest works. We all know what these interest rates are like. Some of you youngins who graduated after me have somewhat better rates, but none of it is good. I was out here at the 8% level, which is usurious to say the least, but everyone's out here at, you know, rates that are much higher than what uh, people are paying on their home mortgages, for instance. And if you have a significant debt, like so many of us do, and despite the hand-wringing of a lot of these faux populists out here, poor people tend to actually have more debt, or first-generation graduates, even if they have a high degree of educational attainment, tend to have a lot of debt, which is why you have so many black people with six-figure debt. $10,000 is only about one year of interest. So if you're looking at the idea of keeping the moratorium for multiple more years, every, every year that the moratorium goes on, they're losing $10,000 of interest, $10,000 of interest, $10,000 of interest plus – Let's just say, oh, okay, we'll give these kids $10,000 to just start the machine back up again, and then they can start paying, and we can start earning our money again. It's a, it's a reasonable compromise if you're in their position. So it's malarkey is what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's, it's a number that's calculated to um, cause the least amount of pain to the people who are exploiting our debt and profiting off of it. That makes total sense. I... Can you still hear me? Because somebody called me in the middle of it. Okay, sorry. Um, So essentially what you're saying is that these people are profiting off, essentially they're willing to sacrifice the imaginary money that wasn't there when they gave the principal amount, but just magically said, hey, create this and make me rich. Well, I mean, because like interest essentially just made up money. I mean, it's like it wasn't there and they just decided, oh, add it on in my head. But I get like technically. Yeah, well, this interest conversation is so interesting because so many folks who have never tweeted about thought about said anything about student debt until the year of our lord august 25th 2022 are suddenly like oh i put my big brain on this question and i've decided that what we really needed to do is cap interest rates oh really honey like that's something that you just came up with guess who had a plan to cap interest rates at 100 uh 1.88 Bernie and Sanders. moreover, exactly, Bernie, <laughs> Sanders, Bernie, no middle name Sanders. Period. So I didn't see you voting for Bernie Sanders. I didn't see you advocating for Bernie Sanders. I didn't see you giving a flying fig about any of this when it mattered and when we could have done something about it. So I'm sorry if I don't take your argument in good faith that right now you're like, oh, 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 let's not do this. Let's just cap interest rate. Because also you can't. Like the whole point, like I'm, I'm so tired of arguing this. I've said this now in both of my raters this week. I am not going to sit here and pretend to you that student debtors are the literal most needy group in the United States of America. That's obviously not true, but they are not elites. And they also happen to be the one group that because Biden made this cockamamie plan, like supported and was a part of making this cockamamie plan to fund college through giving these federal loans out, 
that it happens to be the one thing that he can do without you fool-ass jokers in Congress, Mansion Cinema, the Parliamentarian, and every other flotsam and jetsam that's been obstructing progress for the last two years. So, oops. If you wanted right. him to do something else, you should have gotten the F out of the way when he was trying to do these other things and build back better and beyond. Ooh, I cannot stand how it's I like sound right action. now. I sound like no. the biggest Biden booster. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I have had to swallow a pill, but I said, you know what? If I say that I'm fair and principled, when Biden does something right, I have to give it to him. Because to me, the media outrage, which is crazy to say this out loud, is like akin to us leaving Afghanistan. Mm. Like, literally, I was watching this and I was like, you guys were silence of the lambs when it comes to the $3 billion we just gave to Ukraine. But mm-hmm. you will die on the hill of money that isn't even coming out of your tax dollars the way that y'all mm-hmm. claim it is and blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't get it. My favorite tweet, though. I thought this one was like the best from Jim Banks. He says, student loan forgiveness undermines one of the military's greatest recruitment yes. tools at a time of dangerously low enlistments. And I literally watched that and I, I read it and I then I hollered out, laugh, laughing, hollered out loud laughing. But then I said, well, let's actually take this a step further because I said, once, once as a society, we decide that, hey, you don't get to dangle the carrot of health insurance. You don't get to dangle the carrot of you know, begging me in debt with students. I said a lot of these businesses would not have anything to offer people and people wouldn't want to work there. And I think that's Mm -hmm. a great thing. I want Mm -hmm. to see businesses get just as creative as they got during the pandemic to figure out how to attract people by not using basic things that they should have in their life to actually sustain. Right. And that's why, like, it's not, it might have felt a little bit incongruous, but at the end of today's radar, I spent the last like four or five minutes talking about structurally why it is that they want you to have student debt so badly, why they want you to be indebted so badly, and why the government is willing to incentivize you to buy a house and go into that kind of debt and to have children because they want – that's a form of social control. Obviously, like, there's a social desire and community desire to have children. That's not a bad thing. But the government isn't invested in it because it, like – loves you <laughs> and wants you to be happy and that's why they want you to have kids to join the labor force and to also make you feel invested in a system like you can't take certain kinds of risks but they would actually pay for you to take care of that kid they're relying on your desire not to commit infanticide <laughs> to like yep. keep the system going after they've done the bare minimum and that's that's the difference they will they will sit here these 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 mfers i'm so livid let me tell you the, the day i've had on twitter it. today these mfers will sit here and be like you can't give money to the poor because they're undeserving and they're welfare queens and they take wow. drugs and they had too many kids and they should have gone to college and everything's their fault. Okay. And rich people are elites. Okay, we're all going to pretend to be faux populists now. But exactly. for the last 50 fucking years, my entire life, all I've heard is, oh, you know, there's the middle class, these hardworking middle class people. We've got to make sure they can afford a Honda. we got to make sure there's a chicken in every pot. we got to make sure they get mortgage relief. Okay. We got to make sure that if you buy a million dollar home in the United States of America, you can write off your mortgage interest payments, all of your mortgage interest payments up to a million dollars off of your taxes. And not a single goddamn person who's out there hand wringing about student debt ever gave a fig about that and how that was a handout to rich people who could afford a million dollar MF in house where the rest of us are slaving away trying to pay off our loans living in studio apartments. But Bree, that's wild because you you left out one important one as well. You might have said it on the radar, which I can't wait to watch tonight. But mm-hmm. I said we also let wealthy people write off on their taxes when they donate to their five twenty nine, so that their kids can grow up and go to the mm-hmm. college of their choice because of all mm-hmm. that money. And it's like, well, I wish I had disposable income to do that, but you know, what do I know? Yes, say it, King. It's wild. Yes. It's wild. Like I don't. Earth is ghetto. I'm gonna leave. But oh, thank <laughs> you. But I just wanted to have a moment of joy. 
and just to rant about people and their their stupidity. And again, I feel like I can say this for anybody that's complaining about, oh my God, I had to save the payoff. You are show, exhibiting the exact behavior that people when high school used to cost money and mm-hmm. then it didn't cost money, you're exhibiting that same behavior. And I want you to please learn from history. Whenever you're denying people basic human rights, they always look back on, back on you terribly. So if you mm-hmm. were supporting uh, segregation, you were supporting on women not having the right to vote, et cetera, et cetera. Just imagine somebody taking your picture at that rally. Mm-hmm. Is that the hill you want to, is that the legacy you want to leave for your family? Mm-hmm. Don't be an idiot. Cancel the student debt. That's Cancel all I got. Thank you. Thank you, Day. You're the Snaps, best. I'll talk to you fun. soon. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, by the way, why I have this queued up, let me just play you, like, look, this is the first and probably the last time I'm going to be this enthusiastic about Joe Biden. So everybody just enjoy <laughs> this or cringe through it. But that press conference today, let me tell you, base Biden. Iconic. Okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. People who paid their student loans or chose not to take out loans. Is it fair to people who, in fact, uh, do not own multi-billion dollar businesses to see why these guys get them all attached Is that fair? What do you think? What about people who paid their loans, though, struggle to pay? No, it's not fair, Joe Biden. No, it's not fair, Joe Biden. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Okay, let's 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 keep going. Okay, keep the faith, day. D, what's on your mind this evening? Hey, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. So first of all, I'm I'm glad. I'm so thankful for. I, mean, I don't have that much student loan debt. I'm thankful that you know for all my friends. I've been able to pay off some of it. I'm, I'm thankful for my friends that are happy that it's, you know, being relieved. My theory is that they didn't go bigger because they're waiting to see if this is like another Afghanistan. Hopefully it's not like, hopefully it's not a policy that seems popular on paper. And then there's backlash. I hope, I don't think that's going to be the case. I don't think um, that's going to be the case. I think they're going to drive for filth. Even the rising comments, I got to say, have been oh, pretty positive on this issue. Yeah, so I'm I'm hoping that I'm hoping also the the political part of me because I'm more I guess p- more pro Democrat I guess than the than most Bernie or leftists I do hope it helps you turn out in some of these like Senate races that we need to win, um, but the 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 most prominent emotion I feel is I'm just so tired of these fake populists that get elevated as caring about working class people and I'm tired of them not. You doing research and some of their commentary just shows that they don't even do research. Like, like I saw the Batya Unger Sargon tweet and she's like, well, how is this going to go over for uh, truckers and the fact that this is just a bunch of elites? And it's like, how do you not know as a journalist, as a person at Newsweek, that there's so many jobs mm-hmm. where people are making 55 and $60,000 mm-hmm. and they sit maybe in an office. So they look the part, but they're struggling too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these truckers, and oil rig workers, God bless them, and cops, even though they look the working class white guy part, they make a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. How are so many journalists unaware of that? Like it's 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 mm-hmm. kind of amazing. Because they're fucking elites. Look, they spend their whole time calling people elites and they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Like, I'm never gonna sit here, you guys know me. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend I'm anybody's callous handed, <laughs> you know, toiler, okay? But these people who self-style themselves as like mouthpieces for the working class and then do dumb as hell things, like whatever whatever profession she listed in that tweet, I forget what it was. I think it was maybe truck driver. I just did a quick Google. 
glass doored it. Average truck driver salary in the United States of America is $77,000. And whatever other profession she had listed in there as elite social worker, maybe, average salary was like $55,000. So I was like, Houseway, like, what is going on here? And and, and she didn't write that article. Bajika didn't write that article. But she is the opinion editor at Newsweek. And that is obviously a line of argument that she has personally made and she made it to me on this show in a conversation that we had last year and you can all go and listen to that in the backlogs you know yeah. but on bad faith rather not this literal show and this shows it just shows and also it just shows ironically because the the, fav- the favorite faux populist tucker carlson had a meltdown we know people like ben shapiro hate the poor but your <laughs> our favorite populist or people's favorite populist tucker carlson had a meltdown but this that ironically for all the critiques of sort of liberal identity politics, their their meltdown shows their own identity politics. Because mm-hmm. if you're in your mind, you're thinking of these working class white guys, because that's what mm-hmm. Botnia really speaks to, white guys, because no one gives a shit when people are dumping on working class black people or Hispanic people. They're getting shafted. And that's your first line. And your first line is they're getting shafted so that like lesbian dance theater people get a job. And that just shows your pol- your politics is so aesthetic that I need to even take you less seriously than like, like a, a daytime anchor at CNN. Like if you're unable to mm-hmm. think in those terms, then then you should never be taken seriously. So I'm glad that this issue has re- revealed who someone who like like you who generally wants more than ten thousand dollars but is happy today, which I think is the appropriate position, and people who are revealing themselves as kind of charlatans who never cared about who never care about working they, class they, people. They never cared. I mean, you guys go. Really go back and listen to that episode because, like, I'm trying. I, I don't want to be, you know, I had the conversation to her face. So I don't want this to come off as like I'm being petty or back underhanded or anything or backbiting. But you know, her argument was that it is elitist to think that someone has to go to college to have like value, which of course I agree with. But she flips that into to want people to have the opportunity to go to college should they want to is elitist and also fighting for equality of pe- for people and a basic standard of living health and happiness regardless of what choice you make is also somehow not something that seems to be her particular priority and i i'm sorry i think that's one of the most disgusting unethical perverse things you could ever do in your life pretend it's elitist to say that any that people should be able to make decisions about what kind of profession they go into and what they do with their life based on their desire and ability and not based on whether or not their parents are rich enough for them to, to shoulder their load. And also it shows this deep, extreme ignorance because people have to train for most of the vocations that they argue are just like, oh, working men are just dumb slobs who run out of, roll out of bed and know how to do everything all the time. No, these are skilled professions, even if they aren't college professions. And people take out a lot of debt to be able to do those kinds of jobs that you pretend to care so much about. And this has always been about canceling debt for people who have trade school debt, which Killer Mike, God bless him, talked a lot about on the campaign and continues to talk a lot about because I think at least one of his children went to trade school. Not to mention, you know, the, all the kinds of costs that are associated with a lot of these professions, licensing fees for truck drivers and hairstylists and all of this kind of stuff that's just thrown on to make it difficult for people to break through because it's all about gatekeeping. None of it's real. It's all about gatekeeping. And, and they are participating in that gatekeeping at the same time. They are literally weaponizing working class people in defense of maintaining the status quo. That is deeply unethical. Yeah. Last thing I was going to say, because, you know, we're both we're both black and, um, you know, they only cite 
They, the other thing that's interesting to me is that this is, I mean, it's not going to go far enough for us in my opinion, but this is also going to deeply help working class black people. And one of the critiques, again, that's made against like white liberals are that they are the people who are not listening to concerns. And I agree they're not going far enough, but you would think the people who criticize white liberals for being sort of aloof and actual reactionary, they're actually showing themselves to be reactionary. Like she should actually bought you for all the talk of elites going to Ohio. She should probably actually go to like a working class black or Hispanic neighborhood and ask them what they think of $10,000. People, people don't want that. It's a lot of money for people. Yeah. She, she knows. Bot is not, Bot is not stupid. You know, uh. she, she knows. Look, and, and this is the other thing. I have family members who are truck drivers and who are working class. Like the majority, the overwhelming majority of my family that is not like literally me and my mom are in that situation. So the idea that like the people in my family aren't rooting for me, the idea that the people in my, not that I'm like implicated in this particular policy, but the, the, the idea that the people in my family don't have student debt. My aunt is one of the people who went back to get her education later in life and who has a lot of student debt as a consequence. You know, what? There, there was a moment on the campaign. I was recording an episode for the campaign podcast. It was really early. It's like episode four, April 2019. And I went with Bernie on the road to Texas, and I interviewed – not all of it made it into the podcast, but I interviewed a security – one of his close security guys. He had – his mom had gotten so into Bernie that she became a volunteer driver for the campaign and his grandmother had showed up to the rally. So it's three generations of this family, black, so sweet. The mom had, had worked as a cop for like 30 years, had retired and had gone back to get a social work degree or something like that at age, let's say 50 or 60 and had something like $40,000 of debt. The grandmother had student debt and the son had student debt. This is the people that we're talking about when we're talking about these so-called elitists. It's fucking disgusting, okay? And to pretend like people, even if they don't personally have aspirations or, or, or have any interest in going to college, like they don't have kids, like they don't have loved ones who benefit from this policy. I don't benefit from this policy. My brother does. People I love do. It's, yeah. it's so sick. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I hope you make these points. I don't know. I haven't seen Rising, but I hope you make these points on uh, Rising tomorrow if you're on there. Honey, it was. I'm not on tomorrow, but you should look at today's whole lineup because there was a debate that went, whew, it went left. It was a lot. But it was Astra Taylor from the Debt Collective and this fellow uh, that, that represented the opposite view. I don't remember his name. Brad, I think. Palumbo, something like that. But oh, yeah. yesterday, if you just want like some straight content that was very compelling and good, that's not a debate format where you have to contend with you know some of these bad faith arguments. Yesterday, Sparky Abraham, who you know has been on bad faith several times, he is literally my favorite person in the whole world to talk to about student debt. He makes the most compassionate arguments and comes off as so level headed and reasonable, and speaks from a real place of personal experience and compassion and ethics. That you should definitely listen to his interview from yesterday. I'll check it out. Thank you. Biden's up to 44 in Gallup. So this is, this appears this is what to be, I'm saying. he's, he's rising. Let's get him up to, let's get him up farther. He's yeah. up to 44. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for taking my call. Too. Thank you for calling in. This happened after Afghanistan too, where everyone was like trashing him on the internet, but his poll numbers went up. Okay. Like who did I forget? Oh, Chris Brown. Here you go, Chris Brown. I didn't forget about you. How you doing? What's on your mind? Chris, you're struggling. What's going on? I can hear you. You just came. Oh, all right. Sorry about that. Um, 
Yeah, so I have one question, one question for you. Mm-hmm. I know you're not that big of a Biden fan, but are you a fan of base Biden? It sounds like you're getting proud of base Biden or, or dark Biden. It Look. sounds like it. Sounds like you, you know. <laughs> look, look. If these eyes keep glowing like they're glowing, <laughs> you know, I don't know what a girl's gonna do. It's a long time between now and you know, 2024, and there is ample room for disappointments. We all know that is the case. And he has not, you know, Tiger does not change his stripes or whatever. But like, <laughs> I am going to give credit where credit's due, and I'm really hoping that he learns in this moment the power of doing the right thing and is incentivized to maybe try actually delivering for the American people through a couple other executive orders since he acted so big and bad, like he wasn't going to do it. I will, <laughs> I will, I will be on my grave. My, my tombstone is going to say, remember that, that leech Biden call with African-American leadership. Oh Lord. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> I listened to the whole thing. Oh, don't I, even... I'm going to have, I'm going to have a QR code on my tombstone so that people can pull it up and watch it. Because remember what he said during that? He said, I am not doing executive orders. I don't believe in executive orders. You may, I might be an <laughs> executive but i will not not be doing any orders mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> and i hope this is a, le- a learning lesson for him about what he can gain from it if he decides to go down this route exactly and then don't you necessarily feel like vindicated that you know because you obviously you're one of the people who get a lot of pushback from like resistance <laughs> and everything like that but don't this is what happens when you actually hold politicians accountable when he's looking at in the midterms and Democrats are looking at the midterms and they're seeing these terrible numbers and their response is, well, you, you, uh, well, we just need people to vote. No. When they got that heat and when they started looking at those polls and when it was being threatened that, they, that, um, that black people weren't and their numbers were starting to go down, it's like, oh, shit, maybe we just actually have to do something. Like, it would feel like I'm not saying, OK, OK. Don't you guys who cannot use this against me because I'm on a yeah. bit of a high right now. I just had, you know, <laughs> Japanese beer. Like I'm feeling good. But if you put a ballot in front of me right now, like mm. right now. <sighs> don't say it, Bray. Okay, don't you know what? You know, it's you know, I don't even believe it because I live in DC and it would just be a waste of a vote and it's stupid. I'm always gonna vote green. But Thanks. I would think about it. Like there was a moment where I was like, man, like <laughs> <laughs> Just you just want to pat him on his head just for like a second for good behavior. Yeah, and then uh whoever that person is that's on the White House account, uh pretty much doing the uh is this you to everybody. Right. Uh that person needs to be your comms person. Maybe <laughs> send that person to Kamala. I was like, maybe that person Yo. needs to go to Kamala and help her out because <laughs> this is what it's it is showing the complete hypocrisy when it comes to these people. They have no problem giving money to the rich. They have no problem giving money to the war. But the second you just mention helping an average person, it just it just turns into this 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 where they just lose their flipping heads. Yep, and they're all they're all acting like, well, I this was what was happening on the show today. A bunch mm-hmm. of the guests, the conservative guests, including yep. you know Robbie, who I like and who I'm think you know yeah I love Robbie. Gonna hear from her. but like. He was like, they were like, well, I was against those things too. And I was like, I didn't hear you being loud and like crying Fact. and wetting yourself over it. Exactly. Like, we, no one, you, I didn't hear a single word out of your mouth. I've been sitting next to you on this show for like four or five <laughs> months now. I never heard a single solitary word out of your mouth about these PPP loans unless I brought it up. Exactly. And then you were like, oh yeah, that was bad. I didn't hear you do a radar about it. Exactly. I didn't hear you do a goddamn thing. I didn't hear you suggest guests about it in the Slack. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
You didn't yeah. see a single goddamn thing. That's why I said to them in this in this clip today, the quality here. I'm about to play it for a second because I'm kind of feeling myself right now. This debate, go ahead, you guys got to go. You guys got to go and watch this debate and like weigh in in the comments because they are. No, let me tell you, they are dragging your girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But I was right. Why are you booing me? I'm right. <laughs> okay, wait. Here we go. Here we go right now on Twitter because I've been complaining about the um, about yeah, the Biden's plan and it's it's like, like oh did you say that when Trump's debts got forgiven Robbie. yeah Trump's a crook I don't want to be president Robbie, you mean, Robbie what, what it is is that a lot so of people so you say it's double standard but how's it double standard I'll, 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 I'll explain things. it to you because the tone Please. and tenor of the way that you're reacting and the way so many people are reacting to this student debt cancellation is qualitatively and quantitatively different than whatever internal frustration or or moderately expressed frustration you might have had with the PPP loan cancellation we did not facts are stubborn things we say, Brad, we did not have this robust public conversation when the PPP loans were canceled without fanfare earlier this year. Reporters were not shouting down Joe Biden, saying, why was it un- why is it fair for these millionaires and billionaires who go- donate to your campaigns and the campaigns of Republicans and Democrats alike and our corporate plutocracy? Why is it so why is it fair that Paul Pelosi and all of these people get their loans canceled? That is not a conversation so we're having. Is, though, it's not really Brad, a fair if I can respond to just one of your other points, Lawyers, very, very, very few lawyers make $500,000 a year. And I can say this as an attorney myself. I graduated from Harvard Law School at the top, you know, at the top of the profession. And I know almost no one who makes that sum. And when they do make that sum, they pay off their loans. I have colleagues who paid off their loans very quickly because they did, in fact, have very high paying jobs. A few of them really were able to do so within. I'm sorry, Brad. A few of them were able to do so within, let's say, five years or so. Those people who have high incomes absolutely should be taxed at very high rates. But we should not try to have a corrective tax policy where rich people aren't given windfalls by punishing people, the overwhelming majority of whom are low income and who have to take out loans to go to college. Forty percent of people who have student debt were unable to finish their degrees, many of them because they were unable to have the money to pay for and finish their degrees. And when you talk about the top 20 percent of owners, we talk about the 99 percent versus the 1 percent precisely because there is such an enormous income gap between the top 1% and the rest of the country. So when you're talking about the top 80% of owners, uh, of, of earners, people who earn 70, 80, $90,000 a year are in that top uh, echelon that you're talking about. And yes, people who do graduate from college tend to earn more money. That's the whole point of graduating the college. And what people are fighting for here is for everyone to have that opportunity to go to college, regardless of how much your parents make and whether they are able to dig into their pockets and mommy and daddy are able to pay for your total tuition um, ride. I had to tell him. I had to tell him. <laughs> I had to filibuster him a little bit, but I'm sorry. It had to be done. Yeah, and then especially when he was, like, trying to, like, uh, he was telling his little story and whatnot, and then you just asked him, he was like, are you making $500,000? And it was just like, uh, uh, uh. I, I asked him, okay, bro, are you willing to tax the rich? Yep. He said, no. And I said, okay, then shut the fuck up. Because no one else has, <laughs> no one cares what else you have to say. You just showed your whole entire ass. If exactly. If you said, okay, like, I actually believe in this, but what you're saying to me is that you don't believe in redistributive policies because you think that everything that happens to anybody is their own goddamn fault. fault. You think that you're sitting here on this fucking screen in your little suit in your little comfortable apartment because you just worked harder from everybody else. Everyone has their little goddamn stories about how, oh, I worked as a security guard and and da da da. Everybody has a goddamn story. Everybody's told me. Half the people who are telling woe is me stories about how hard they worked in college are not getting exposed by the White House Twitter account about having taken. Six, six figures worth of debt and PPP loans that they just got canceled. Mm-hmm. Or haven't gone to Dalton and paid $60,000 a year for their effing primary school education. Uh, one of these days, we're going to have to have a conversation. And maybe it's like uh, about how certain people really want to uphold the system just so they can kind of virtue signal and then say that they're better than somebody. And I think that's what a lot of this comes down to, honestly. 
mm-hmm. it's, it's just to say that, you know, oh, I, I got a degree. I make such and such and such. And I did it off my own strength and my hard work. And you didn't do it because you're lazy. So yep. if you're if you're a person who makes fifty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars, it's because you didn't try hard enough. And that's kind of what then that's kind of what capitalism is really starting to do to people. It just and I think we're really really comfortable with these kind of labels of where we can sit on a podium and kind of grandstand to people because in this system some of us was able to like make out of it and become good and then the other mm-hmm. other people are just at the bottom and it's just like oh no so yeah yeah besides which you know i paid off my undergrad loans i i paid off my debt i'm literally the person people are like people who work trying i'm like yo bruh i paid more <laughs> student loans than you will earn in like four years of working. Do you know what I mean? I have paid. And all of these people, most of the people who are paying out of the ass, like anybody who's getting their loans, kids, they've been paying. Unless you graduated yesterday, there's a small number of people who literally graduated yesterday. And yes, some of them are graduating into high earning jobs and they're getting a windfall. And Mm -hmm. I proposed for you the solution to that problem, which is to tax their asses. And you said, oh, actually, no. Because then I would be implicated, and I'm a selfish prick. Exactly, exactly. And then, and then ultimately, it comes down to they never really have an argument for anything. Well, they they'll just always debate you on the merits, or just say, "Hey, I don't believe in this and that." But when it actually comes to their job or what they want to do about it, it's always crickets. It's literally always crickets. Like he tried to say the thing, "Oh, well, I want to get rid of the administrative costs," and it's like, so, but how are you going to do that? Are you going to how? How? And also, wait, t- tell me, t- show me one other tweet, one article, one moment in your entire life before Wednesday that mm. you ever expressed a single bit of interest in this. Oh, but we got to reform the entire exactly. student debt system. Oh, but there, this gets to the root of the problem. Okay, that's why today's radar was like, great. All of you who are whining and vetching and moaning and bitching about how mm. this doesn't get to the root of the problem, we won. Okay, so now I'm willing to entertain your little grievance. Here's what you got to do. There has been legislation proposed in the House by one Bernard, no middle name, Sanders. I expect to see you calling your congressperson as soon as you finish watching this clip, talking about why aren't you voting for this, because this is unfair, and we'll be back in the problem zone unless you pass this legislation to tax Wall Street transactions so that we can have free public colleges and universities in the United States of America. Yep, yep. That's it, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> also, I would just like to clarify that I'm not uh, drinking Sapporo. I'm drinking Hitachino Nest. Hitachino Nest. It's a white ale. Moreover, the energy that I am giving you right now is only like 3% of this light beer that I had. It is 97% me being having like dark Biden running through my veins. <laughs> jazzed up from arguing with nincompoops on rising all day today <laughs> yeah i had to have a drink myself i'm i'm drinking uncle nera straight okay mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. We're, we're celebrating yeah so um that's pretty much all i had uh i was going to get on bacha but uh the dude in front of me kind of already took that one so that's pretty much all i had look maybe we'll, maybe we'll have it back on the podcast and we can just have this out face to face because i'm trying Absolutely. to be cordial and like you know respect people and stuff but thank you chris for calling in no problem. Keep the faith. Keep the faith, my friend. All right, Omar, what's on your mind? Hey, Brie. Um, I'm kind of on the same tune as you. Um, I've just been dealing with so much people, even college grads, which is the most annoying part, where college grads have this idea of, like, meritocracy, where, like, what about me? What if I already paid off my debt and I had to work hard and all this shit? And it's like, in this country, people are fine 
telling you, like, if you don't go to college and you end up at a fast food place cleaning bathrooms for minimum wage and no benefits for the rest of your life, it's because you're an idiot, you're an illiterate Mm -hmm. fucking loser, Mm -hmm. right? And the moment somebody starts to step up and say, okay, the the McDonald's drive-thru guy is going to go to college and try to make a living, and they still call him an idiot. Oh, well, why'd you make the inconvenient uh, financial choice to take out a fucking loan to go to school and try to better yourself? Mm-hmm. And I just cannot deal with that shit because you're, you're fucked either way, right? If, if you're working your own business or a minimum wage job and being poor the rest of your life, it's fine, right? They can point to you and say, like, look at these losers. They don't deserve it. And then the moment you try to make something of yourself, they'll still judge you and they still think you, sh- you should be in debt for the rest of your fucking life. Mm-hmm. And it's always a college grad. Like, I have a friend who's a, 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 he's a nurse, right? Mm-hmm. And it's always the same discourse. But I had to work hard. I had to pay off my loans. Blah, 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 blah. And I cannot fucking deal with that anymore. Because you're screwed either way, right? You're screwed if you're going to uh, avoid school and work hard the rest of your life. And you're fucked if you're going to go to school and try to make yourself better. Because people are still going to say you're a loser and you made a stupid choice. Um, it's a little convoluted, but that's basically like what mm-hmm. I've kind of been dealing with on my timeline. And a bunch of blue no matter who people, too, who are like, okay, um, I know Biden um, promised to cancel, like, the whole thing, but you got 20 grand. Who should I vote for? You got Republicans, blah, 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 the evil Republicans, right? I just cannot deal with the idea that it's it's college grads. Like, why would a mm-hmm. college grad who went through all this, who went through the, they made the same choice, right? They decided to go to school. They decided to take the loan. And, and you're going to chastise the person next to you for making the same choice it just does not make sense to me and i just think it's at a certain point omar this is what i decided on my timeline you got to stop listening to people and stop trying to engage with these people because they're not acting in good faith they're fucking haters they're the kind of person i'm sorry i'm sorry for my language go for it go for it go for it go for it we had something happen in america today something actually happened in america today every other day i get on this microphone and we talk about how nothing has happened Something happened today, so I'm using a little bit of profanity, okay? The, the kind of people on the timeline are the kind of people who would have looked at you if you said, man, I worked really hard, and I still haven't su- su- achieved the success I wanted to achieve, and I'm really struggling paycheck to paycheck, and life is hard. They would have said, you know what? Life's not fair. There's no free lunch. Life's not fair. And now their bitch asses are on the timeline talking about, this isn't fair. You know what, honey? I'm so sorry. Life's not fair. <laughs> I cannot even bring myself to care about their tears right now. I cannot. I cannot. I cannot. I'm dead as to say. <laughs> I, I'm on the same freaking boat, to be quite honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I can elaborate a little bit more on that, but it's just this feeling where all... It's just frustration, especially coming from other fucking college grad students. I, yeah. I don't understand it. They're miserable, but... horrible haters, but here's the thing. like, I, I, It really is actually uplifting to me how many people are on board with us, including a lot of people who were not in coalition with us before. And I have always had the feeling that this student debt crisis was at the root of like something that could really have revolutionary potential in this country. And I know that sounds like a little silly because it is a more advantaged class than the people who are really taking it the hardest in the United States of America. But I think it's like it's like a French 68 where sometimes people who have just a little bit more flexibility financially and a little bit more power and a little bit more agency and feel a little bit more empowered by their situation are the ones that are be, are able to take those kinds of risks and frankly should be taking the risks more than the people who are really at the bottom of the social hierarchy. 
And it, and it I felt to me like there was all this potential energy in this moment, which is why I was frustrated when there weren't, you know, strikes and marches and bigger events planned for the days on which the moratoriums were planned to be lifted as they've been pushed and pushed and pushed over the course of the last, you know, year. And this, this feels like an acknowledgement from the Biden campaign that they were fucked on this one. And this, I got to say, this is like force the vote in some ways because it is a point of leverage that was so authentic and real because there truly was no wiggling out of this for Biden. If he didn't do it, it was his fault and his alone. And he was going to have to suffer the electoral consequences for it. And, and, and that's what happens. Force the vote was a similar moment where there was no one else to blame. The six of you progressives can keep Nancy Pelosi for being Speaker of the House. And if you choose not to, it's on you and you can't blame anybody else. And we have to be able to identify and recognize the power in those kinds of moments and not let them go by. And by the way, this moment isn't over. Like I said on my radar today, now's the moment to say, okay, all of you, 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 you concerned trolls who pretended like you cared about getting at the root of the swollen uh, college costs and and the ongoing crisis, put up or shut up. Are you going to sign this bill to get free free public colleges and universities? No? Then then shut up. But we have to, just like I'm sorry with the Marjorie Taylor Greene or any of these other moments, you have to capitalize on this moment to keep pushing, pushing, pushing. Because Biden also has the executive authority to cancel all student debt. Biden has not fulfilled his promise to cancel all debt for people who graduated from public institutions and from HBCUs and other minority-serving institutions. And he's hoping that we don't notice. And I'm about to be ecstatic for about as long as this tiny little beer buzz lasts, and then I'm about to be back to the grind, and we all have to be. Oh, did we go away? Okay, all right. No war, no war. Chris, what's on your mind this evening? Can you unmute yourself, Chris? You with us, Chris? Or is the app giving us issues? All right, get back in line, and if I see you in the back, I'll call you up. Neoliberal tears, how are you doing? Neolib, can you unmute yourself? Something must be going on with the app, huh? What is going on? Neoliberal tears, can you unmute yourself? Hey, oh, um, can you okay. hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you. What's on your mind? Oh, great. Um, well, uh, happy Leo season. I'm very happy <laughs> uh, that we're all happy. Um, I guess I was, as someone who's always been for canceling all student debt, um, for all of the reasons you, compel- you compellingly have been laying out, um, you know, I don't have some, I don't have any personally, but I, my friend does. Um, and I was kind of disappointed to see that the payments would restart in mm-hmm. at the end of um, January, is it? You know, they made it, they said it was the final time again. And I'm kind of hoping that there's a way to extend the, the pause for people as well, because that chunk out of people's paychecks, you know, is significant. Um, and it's, you know, uh, and I think that 10,000 is just not, it's not enough to really give people the boost that they need to feel, um, you know, it's one year of interest as you lay out Mm -hmm. and, um, but I don't want to be a downer. I don't want to be a Debbie downer. So, um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm happy, uh, all things considered. 
Um, it yeah. reminds me sort of of the moment after the $1,400 checks, you know, where people were sort of happy because it felt like government was doing something good for once um, and for, a, for an, a large enough group of people. And it sort of died down when we realized, oh, the back 600 was never going to make it. Right. Um, <laughs> right. His, his polls really have gone up and down with him just delivering. This is not rocket science. And Diane... It's not rocket science. And eventually the, the same betrayal that we got when, you know, the full amount of the stimulus checks wasn't provided. I think people are going to wake up and realize that he has also betrayed uh, this promise in this context. And it's going to diminish the high he could be getting from this moment. But of course, he should just fulfill the promises. It's not too late. Yeah, of course. And we always want our besties to do the right thing, uh, even if it's for the wrong reasons. But like, I, I think I think what you said was exactly right. There was no way to wiggle out of this one. He made the promise. Like, it doesn't matter how how against it Susan Rice was. <laughs> like, at a certain point, um, they ended up, uh, someone ended up falling on the right side in that particular day. Um, mm -hmm. I've also wanted to actually ask you um, about, uh, I mean, that segment you had with Stephen Moore has been like living in my head, my head rent free, uh, that panel segment. It was so good. Um, and it made me think of The View. And I was wondering, because I'm such a huge obsessed fan of The View. And I was wondering if you ever read the book by um, uh, Ramin Satuda, the editor in chief at Variety. He wrote a book called Ladies Who Punch um, about the history of The View. Um, and you know, basically taking, you know, with behind the scenes interviews and all of those things. Um, and he talks about uh, Whoopi and Barbara. And for, for the listeners who don't know, shame on you about Barbara Walters. <laughs> but she created the original view. She's such a complex character. Um, fascinating. Um, and she basically brought Whoopi on the view, you know, when it was sort of the jolt their ratings back, you know, Whoopi, huge Oscar winner. Um, and then behind the scenes, she started complaining about Whoopi a little bit, you know, that she was messing up the teleprompter. And Whoopi <laughs> decides to legislate into her contract that she would be moderator no matter what. Mm -hmm. Every episode, she would have the quote unquote last word, which is a huge weapon mm -hmm. um, that is wielded in daytime TV, especially on Rising. And I think... Um, so as I noticed, so, so now you would see Whoopi always cutting to commercials whenever she doesn't like a point. Um, mm -hmm. you know, she has the power. She can, you know, she has the last word. Um, and I noticed Stephen Moore sort of really trying to like, cause the last word is what the, what most people take away from a segment. That's like the, the, the last word is what they remember mostly. Like 90% of the things before mm -hmm. they might forget later. Um, but basically on Barbara, this last day on the show, um, she um, begged Whoopi. She was like, please let me moderate one last time. Please, it's my show that mm. I have created. It's my legacy. It's the thing she was the most proud of. And Whoopi said, absolutely not. Um, per my contract at ABC, I am moderator. <laughs> so um, it's a it's a strong weapon, Brian. I hope you use it wisely when it comes to rising segments, and I I know you will. Um, you have been bestowed with with a huge, um, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to go back and find that was last week, right? That was last. That would have been last Wednesday. What day of the week was that? <laughs> what was I wearing? What color was I wearing? <laughs> so I can tell from these thumbnails. Because you're right, it was a wild segment. 
Um, and it's hard to put into words, especially since I don't want to mischaracterize anyone. Oh, gee. Uh, mm. Was it last m- Tuesday or last Wednesday? Here. Oh, Actually, I should be able to Google it. Let me just do Stephen Moore is his name. Is it with the PH? Oh, here we go. Okay. I'm just going Let's to talk like, about. Oops, sorry, that's add uh, a little bit of it. Um, to give people some context, yes. and I'm going to speed it up. Do you guys mind listening to things sped up? Because I love listening to things sped up. But, but, uh, okay, because also I kind of have to tinkle, and so this will help me have the opportunity to do that. that. It's probably hard to think of any president, maybe in American history, has been more fiscally reckless than Joe Biden. Let's let's um, add it up. We we started out with a 1.9 trillion dollar uh, blue state bailout bill back in the first months of Trump, uh, Biden's presidency. Remember that? That was 1.9 trillion. And then we spent 1.1 trillion dollars on a green energy, uh, green new deal bill back at the end of last year. Then they passed a 250 billion dollar corporate welfare bill about uh, three weeks ago. And by the way, Republicans did vote for some of this stuff. And then you now you have another 700 billion dollar spending bill. So add that up. And it's almost hard to believe that this president has spent four trillion dollars in 19, 20 months in office. I mean, I didn't think that was possible. Uh, we will spend decades and decades undoing the fiscal ruin that this is causing our country. Um, we would have to, by the way, that $4 trillion adjusted for inflation is as much as we spent to fight uh, and win World War II. So it's a joke when Joe Biden says, I'm being fiscally responsible here when we've increased our national debt by over $3.5 trillion in just 18 months. Um, now, look, Republicans aren't, <laughs> I'm not here to defend the Republicans. They like to spend money and play Santa Claus too. Uh, but the one thing we can't be doing is raising taxes. That, I mean, history shows that raising taxes on our businesses will hurt the economy. One of the reasons, you know, I was one of the architects of the Trump tax plan, which was an incredible success, where we reduced our tax rates and brought trillions of dollars of capital back to the United States. That's how we built the best economy in American history, virtually, um, by the end of 2019, through tax cuts, deregulation, uh, and, uh, and uh, better trade deals with China. I think we're moving in the wrong direction here. And my warning to people is the biggest winners of these Biden policies clearly have been our two biggest enemies, China and Russia, who are laughing behind our back. So, Stephen, just a few points there. Trump, yeah. Trump oversaw a $7.8 trillion rise in the deficit. That was mm-hmm. historic and was described as reaching World War II levels of deficit spending. Mm-hmm. Okay, And much of that spending wasn't even geared toward getting the economy going the way that Biden has had to. And Trump obviously also had to deal with this COVID crisis. But for tax breaks, we're the more affluent part of the country. And we saw that also in his business tax policy, where it, he continued a trend that's been happening that can't just be attributed to Donald Trump. But what we're seeing is that the gap between the very rich and the very poor, CEO pay versus worker pay, has exploded over recent years. And billionaires have gained more money and put more money in their pocket during the COVID pandemic, during the last two years, than they ever have in American history. So I think it's going to be frustrating to some listeners who understand how difficult it is to live right now, who understand that it was also difficult to live and survive in America under Trump, that, that not that much has changed. I'm certainly not a big Biden booster here or interested in pretending that he's doing exactly what I would prescribe from a policy perspective. But what I'm hearing um, from Pavlina is that this is a bill that catered to Republican interests. It lowered the deficit. It basically opens up more oil drilling uh, in, in the United States, much to the consternation of uh, environmental advocates. There is a side deal with Joe Manchin that was made to get him uh, into this that opens up this uh, oil pipeline through West Virginia. It feels like there are a lot of gifts here for the Republicans to get them on board and to conservatives to get them on board. And yet you still seem to not really be willing to acknowledge that there's a compromise here, or I don't really also hear you articulating an alternative plan to get down inflation. So, you know, why should listeners take what you're saying in good faith as opposed to being something along the lines of kind of just a more partisan jockeying here? Well, let's be clear. I mean, Trump lost the election not because people didn't like Trump's policies. People love Trump's policies. Trump lost the election because they didn't like him and his behavior. And I don't always defend uh, Trump's 
uh, behavior. But if you want to have a debate about Trump's policies, I mean, my God, we have the lowest unemployment rate in American history. We have the lowest poverty rate in American history, the biggest wage gains for American workers in 30 years. We had the lowest black and Hispanic poverty rates, the lowest black and Hispanic unemployment rates. I mean, the economy was booming under Trump. And then, of course, COVID hit. And you're right. I mean, I think one of the greatest tragedies of American history was shutting down the American economy. That was, a, I think everybody agrees now, that was an catastrophic mistake. Sure, but, but Stephen, Biden is also bragging about historically low unemployment rates. It seems like whoever's in yeah. office, everyone well, brags about how everything is great, and the American people don't experience it that way. Yeah, exactly, because right now, 82% of Americans, this is an all-time record, 82% of Americans believe the economy is headed in the wrong direction. I mean, the cruelest tax of all, the tax that kills the middle class and lower income people is inflation. And when Trump left office, we had a one and a half percent inflation rate. During pre Trump's presidency, we averaged two percent inflation in 18 months. I mean, I don't need to actually so know what, how you so do that. So, Stephen, what, what do you think should rate, be done? Wait, wait, wait. He took the inflation rate from one and a half percent to nine percent in 18 months. I mean, how do you do that? It was because of the spending. And now we're going to have more spending and they act as if that's going to reduce inflation. I mean, that's a ding bad idea. Uh, Pavlina, I want to bring you back in. Um, what do you how would you respond for the record, I asked him what did he want to be done like three times and never answered, but I'm going to skip to the end. Manufacturing country that, that has a lot of, uh, you know, we talk about German engineering, they damn near bankrupted the country because they tried to run the country with windmills and solar panel. So what's happening now is that Germany is moving away from wind and solar power. They are massive using more coal, they're using more oil, they're using more gas, and they're rebuilding the nuclear plants. So we are making the exact mistake that Germany made 10 years ago, and we're going to suffer the same consequences. Meanwhile, China's taking over the global coal industry. Russia is taking over the uh, global oil and, uh, and gas industry. And this is not just a problem for the American economy. It is a massive national security problem that we're ceding control over the global energy markets to our enemies. I mean, that makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult because, you know, of course, Obama bragged about making America like the, the right. greatest uh, exporter, exporter. Biden has, in the context of this pandemic, bent the knee and uh, opened up drilling permits. He bragged about fracking. It seems like he really has done everything that you would want, and yet is still getting this criticism at the same time that some of these oil manufacturers are saying in COVID, we don't actually want to open up these plants again that we shut down because of COVID because the cost benefit isn't there because we know this is an industry that's going out. And what it takes to boost, to get, boost production again and get production going again doesn't pan out because we know that this is this is a 20-year plant. We're only on a 10-year horizon for this kind of production. So I do think we need to come together and have a more honest conversation, as we've had here, and I appreciate you both, about how we're going to have to strategically manage the fact that oil and gas and coal are non-renewable resources. And no matter what you think politically, this transition to green energy has to happen at some point, as it's happening across the world. Thank you happen? so much, because we don't have inf infinite amounts of uh, oil in the ground and also there's yes, a climate do. crisis. We have 500 years but worth of oil, you. we have 400 years of gas, and we have 600 years worth of coal. Yeah, and if all that carbon were burned, we'd be living on a planet that wasn't exactly uh, habitable by human beings, which is a little bit of a concern for, for some folks with, uh, with lungs. But thank you so much for being with us, Stephen and Pavlina. We appreciate you. We'll have to have you back. We have a super... <laughs> he kept talking! <laughs> God, it was so good! Oh my God, I feel like if I'm, like, if I was a rising producer, I would high-five everybody in the office. I mean, this is amazing! <laughs> it was so weird. Oh, people are so service. weird. It's what a public service. I mean, the Heritage Foundation is not sending their best. I think we can, you know, acknowledge that and process that for what it is. Um, I um, I also wanted to ask you a question, um, you know, because I feel like um, we were talking about, like, you know, 
uh, our tombstones and what they would say. And, you know, I fully acknowledge that I might fall in love one day and have a family with great pets. But what I see written on my tombstone still would be, you know, it would it would be something about going back to the American Rescue Plan, which passed by 218 votes. And I would still want to know which or when I'm on the my deathbed having one last question it would be which squad members were about to threaten to tank the whole bill down um and who and who Pramila reached out to and said absolutely not you're going to fall in line who were who were they because by three votes I mean with 218 I mean three votes could have tanked the whole bill it was a real a real moment of leverage for a real Biden promise that would have made a concrete difference in people's lives and um, I want to know who question. they were. Yeah, what a question. You know what? Rose coming back on the podcast, so maybe I'll ask him. <laughs> we know. It. I, I think you're absolutely right. And that's why we're so fixated on these moments. It's like there's a kind of person who very instinctively rolls their eyes and um, has a minor conniption fit every time they hear the letters FTP. But the reason well, the way we focus on these moments is because – There's a lot to be gained out of pretending that you don't have power. It's why when even Chris Hedges on Bad Faith at one point said, you know, AOC and I don't care about them. They don't have a lot of power. I had to push back against him because that it can feel like you're insulting someone. But at I think at the end of the day, you're letting them off the hook. If if someone actually doesn't have power, they don't have power. But it's obviously not true, given the margins in the House that the squad members didn't have power. And our job is to identify the moments when they truly could have done something, just like the student debt moment is a moment where Biden literally has the power to do something and push them then because any other time that we criticize them, it's pure speculation, right? We have no idea if they could have made something work, if they made a legitimate calculation that it wasn't worth the political risk because it was all performative and they weren't going to get anything from it anyway. Most nine nine times out of 10, it's, it's not worth haranguing them over. But there are these moments where they literally are make and break, where it's not about we need to get X number more of them elected into office and all of this shit. And that's the reason why we focus on them. And people who don't understand that don't understand politics. They don't understand leverage and nobody should pay any attention to them, to be honest. So I, I'm with you. I also want, I'm going to add that QR to my tombstone. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, so we can match. Um, so um, I, I also, uh, I guess I wanted to ask you, um, from the well yes i i promise you i'll continue to investigate this and we will find out um <laughs> you know one day i mean absolutely i mean um and you know i was oh my god your your interview with um ross barkin was so good and you know as someone who's lived in new york um i was really excited to get to like hear about that those exact questions you know what happened with Mondaire was so insane mm-hmm. um and the, the fact that um, that Ross said that he even reached out to try to do a cover mm-hmm. piece and he never heard back. It's just so crazy to me. And, the, you know, it's sad to me. I guess Mondaire could have been a really, uh, a, a really interesting one-term congressperson. The, the kind that, you know, we, we thought we were voting for, honestly. Um, and he chose instead to play the inside game, get endorsed by Pelosi, which is the kiss of death. I mean, politically, right. why would you do that? And, and after, by the way, so it seems like it was like, um, you know, an apology of sorts or just like tit for tat because 
in the district that it, it's clear in retrospect, at least, he should have run in against um, uh, Sean Patrick Maloney. I mean, right. Pelosi immediately endure, endorsed Maloney, right? Like, so this is almost like, okay, you screwed me in Westchester, so at very least come in at the, at the end of this and give me the blessing in the new district. So it didn't even feel like it was a good faith endorsement. It felt like tit for tat. It felt like he was stabbing the back, and the least you can do is pull it out three inches. And it was it was the day of the election or the day before the election. It was meaningless. On top of which, if you are a progressive, is that an endorsement that you really even want to be celebrating? These people are failing because they are being messy and not establishing boundaries about who they really are and what they really stand for. In the same way that we've seen so many kind of Biden policies flop and flail and so many neoliberal policies flop and flail because they try to chart this middle course that makes nobody happy. Mondaire is not someone like I, I mean, I wasn't like besties with him or anything in law school, but I thought he was a nice kid. (laughs) You know, like I thought he was really sweet. The most dangerous way. I mean, I'm sure (laughs) those are the most dangerous. I I don't want to know what they said about Pete. I mean, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that like, I, I'm about to say some things that are cri- critical. I just want to be clear that this is not me speaking about him from a personal perspective. Because from a personal perspective, he was just like this kid I sat with in the dining hall from time to time and chit-chatted about whatever. Like, you know, I didn't know him at all as a political being. As a political being, I'm very frustrated because he did play this middle road that ultimately left him with a record of what? And he could get back into Congress and what? What is he aspiring to? A career like like Sean Patrick Maloney's, like Jerry Nadler's? Like, what is your goal? Is your goal to be rich? There's other better ways to be rich. He's a Stanford undergrad, Harvard lawyer. He could have gone and worked at a corporate firm like everybody else. You know, what is, what is, you know, he's like friends with Issa Rae. (laughs) Like, this is not, like, there are a lot of other ways to live your life and other choices to choose. So what is this even? And, And why go into Congress as a young black man from humble beginnings, a young gay black man from humble beginnings, if you're not doing it for, like, a reason? And I think so many of these politicians, like they think that their le- their reason, their their motivation, their raison d'être is a, mo- is a is a liability when that's really the thing that can can make them. That's what made AOC. Yeah, you know, I'm 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 struggling with that too, I, and because uh, I've been thinking the exact same. The, the exact same question goes into my mind. Like when they run into office, is it like? And I'm start, I'm I'm wondering if it's more cynical than that and that like Richie Torres in the sense that like they understand how to how to brand themselves and to appeal to an identity politic while knowing that they're not giving the substance of they they know enough to know better basically with like mm-hmm. Richie Torres which is such a triggering example for me mm-hmm. um but like um you know and I was it, I, I was also thinking of, um, you know, it, it made me think broadly about a question I've been wanting to ask you. Um, it, let's say if you were in Congress or because that's my dream um, or advising someone else. Um, okay. That's my dream. How would you advise them to go on Fox News or would you because really I've noticed from the strategy from the squad has been to ice out um the right-wing media ecospace and instead we're sending our worst like nomiki into the lions then to make the absolute worst case for us whatsoever and it just makes me feel like why wouldn't you want to take charge of that horse basically or try to at least 
um, put your face out there and have a, a voice attached. Because what you did with Jenk was so, so instructive and so illuminating. And, you know, it made me think, like, why are any of them afraid to really engage with the with Fox News or the media that villainizes them. And then I'm thinking maybe people like AOC don't have substance to really go up against something like that. I mean, maybe somebody principled would, um, but what do you think? So this is so funny because I was actually talking about this with Robbie today in a segment. Um, why were we talking about this? We were talking about the view, Ron DeSantis maybe being deplatformed from somewhere. I don't forget where, what it was, but I was explaining to him how, it just really depends on your principle. Some principles, you know, are so capable and are so able to deal with whatever is thrown their way. That is absolutely a win to throw them into the lion's den because their poise and their, um, you know, congeniality can make the person who's attacking them just seem absurd and they win. But there are other people who aren't quite as dexterous or who aren't good for a particular environment. Like I think that Bernie generally speaking is very, very good in a lot of different environments, including on Fox and is able to hold his ground. I don't think that Bernie is the right fit for something like the view. I like the view, (laughs) the view is not about being right. It's not about having policy answers. It's not about fighting for working class people. They don't give a shit. Like, you know, (laughs) to, to, to handle the view, you have to be able to read what the priorities are of the, of the view hosts, which are yes. not yes. appealing to a working class which audience. Their audience is Alyssa the working class. Did, someone like Alyssa, Bernie needs to learn from Alyssa. Like she studied those dynamics to a T and knew how yeah, to Yeah, and, and I gotta and say, I, agree with her. I saw AOC go on there. This was a while ago, like years ago. Uh, she was wearing a very sparkly multicolor top, like a sequin top. I don't, I don't know if she's been on there since then. But they kind of were not here for her. Um, it might have been after she came out and endorsed Bernie. But I, I don't know remember what the reason was, but I expected them to like her. Oh, she's a young Latina, identity <laughs> politics, blah, 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 blah. But they were kind of being harsh on her, and they were mad at her. What it, what it was I'm is loving. Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi Goldberg's thing, and this is something that you don't know unless you watch The View and you are, like like, you're, like you said, uh, studying these people. She hates disrespect of elders. Yes. So she perceived AOC as an, a young upstart who just came into Congress and thought she was going to tell everybody what to do. And AOC is smart. Like, whatever you want to say about her. Like, I have seen – she has a certain degree of political skill. She had the insight to know that she could pacify Whoopi Goldberg by basically saying, you know, I really hear what you're saying, Ms. Goldberg. And I absolutely learned so much from Congress members. I wouldn't have a clue of what to do if I didn't have these more senior members take me under their wing and really help me understand the works. And I'm I'm so grateful to the prior generation. I do think, though, however, there are a couple of things that, you know, are worth I, I can bring to the table as well. And it's good to have someone in Congress who can speak to the generational needs of people who are under 40 years old as well. And I think by working together, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? And she pacified Whoopi. All she had to do was pet her on the head and say, Whoopi, I respect my elders. I respect my elders and humble herself a little bit. Someone like Bernie, he has a lot of skills, but that particular one is not one that he has. Right. And there, and on Fox news, there are places where Bernie will shine and AOC won't. So it's about knowing your principle and knowing what they're going into. And that's like a talent in and of itself that people, again, I just don't think have a lot of respect for <laughs> comms. I like, you know, you hear me on here complaining all the time. I just don't think that comms get a lot of respect, but that's what you should be looking for. And if I were in charge of Bernie, which I was not, 
I would not send him on The View, and I would never send him on The View again, at least with the current lineup of panelists, or at least without a lot of prep, which Bernie, as a principal, is not, like, he's not a, he, you don't do prep with Bernie. He doesn't well, really prep. To be fair, okay, here, here's my little pushback about this, because mm-hmm. um, I agree with you 100%. I think I do think, though, that that kind of coaching for a view segment, it would be a lot easier. Like, that's how we get so many politicians, like, go, too many going on The View and, like, doing kind of, like, what you would think as well. But the viewers of The View are actually a very diverse bunch, and especially the younger um, late millennial Gen Z viewers, they watch The View for what my friend would say are all the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's just as compelling because they understand the history uh, between the hosts or they watch. I think I, I love it when like <laughs> the producers throw you a twist and like, remember when Sunny came out for free Assange? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was shocking. I mean, there's all of these moments. There's like moments in The View where someone says something extremely radical um, or, you know, but, but, but for the most part, it's like, you know, main, mainstream friendly and all of that. But there are moments um, and there's like a lot of like animosity and drama under the under the surface, like between you wouldn't catch Alyssa and Anna Navarro looking at each other. Um, you <laughs> yeah, know, there's sure. a territorial turf <laughs> of like, you know, who gets to be the conservative? I mean, and we have to thank, you know, our princess from Arizona for that, for, you know, really <laughs> carrying that torch. Um, but, um, yeah, I think the view is, um, wonderful television. And, um, I, I, I remember there was, um, a moment when you said, um, there was a day on rising when like you were frustrated because you said, um, oh, you know, one of the producers wants to do a segment about like Jill Biden's calling people tacos, like Jesus Christ. And I want to have something substantive to talk about and I completely understood what you meant but in my head I was like oh I'm sure that's going to be covered on the view and and of course it was mm-hmm. and if it's covered on the view it should be covered on rising because rising is like yeah, the, the view, view from an alternate universe you know where isn't like... rising Here, here's the problem on the view there first of all it's weighted liberal not conservative so there are many people who are going to say there, there's space to criticize Jill Biden without losing perspective of what is actually going on in the world. So there's a place to say like, yeah, that was inappropriate. Like, what was she thinking? Her speechwriter sucks. Like, this is ridiculous. But also, you know, the, not draw false equivalence with like Marjorie Taylor Greene draw, drafting up legislation to like attack trans people. Meanwhile, on yes. Rising, it's one-to-one. It's just me. It's just me and Robbie and the whole gestalt of the programming if you just look at the clip after clip after clip, it becomes, oh, liberals are so absurd, you might as well not vote for them, right? Like, that is the that is the con- concern I'm talking about. It's not just any one segment that's a problem. It's that I we rap, and I'm walking home, and I'm like, the impression you get from the topics that were chosen today are that liberals are out of touch, racists, da-da-da-da, and conservatives have nothing wrong. So it's not it's not talking about... Jill Biden. It's talking about Jill Biden and not talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene saying whatever most recent offensive things that she said, or Lauren Burbert saying that we shouldn't have separation of law, church and state. On The View, they talk about those other things. So the Jill Biden segment, it is what it is in the context that it's in. Did you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, and, and it's, it's like when it's like when um and and I think uh, from the, from the- Norm Finkelstein was on the podcast. And he was upset with me because he felt like I was 
pushing back too hard on his feelings about abortion. But then when we came on Colin and everyone else was mad at Norm Finkelstein, I was able, it freed me up to not have to take that contrary position. And then I could make some of Norm Finkelstein's arguments, which I actually thought were interesting and good. But, but without the ballot, I, I like having the option to be in the middle without feeling like I have to steel man the ultimately right position because otherwise it's like fascism. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I guess the way I see it is like um, the way I see it, you're not alone. Uh, we are right there in the room with you. Mm. I mean, we have people. We have. Well, well, I mean, there's a that's a I, I have a theory about how the conservatives who comment immediately as soon as a rising video post, like a lot of them are retired boomers who have nothing better to do. The rest of us are working at like 1030 in the morning. We can't like, you know, most of us wait to watch your segments until the evening of like I was at work today. Um, so uh, as far as who comments first is a whole other question. Also, when Ryan, Ryan took over hosting, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of left wing voters, uh, sorry, left wing um, oriented people left the show because um, they didn't feel represented by, by his brand of by, by his aesthetic whatever um, mm. and uh, you know so I think you're bringing that audience that left wing audience back don't look at the comments as soon as they post wait uh, at least two days for them to like for, for people to for lefties to actually have the time to listen because we I look forward to it so much I mean you know, and I know all of my friends who share your 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 clips. So it might there might be a skewed perception about who is a rising viewer because I've been such a huge fan, and I'm a, and I'm a lefty. Um, and it's also like it's, I guess it's like you know when you imagine like who's a who is a an average view viewer. I mean, I don't think you can find that. I think it it would it's all sorts of people who watch the view. It's men, straight, gay, women all kinds, you know, and the same with rising, I, I guess. Um, yeah, look, I, I hear that. And I, I appreciate you calling in for the vote of support neoliberal tears. And I see you out here on the internet. I'm going to try to move through a few more people. I really do appreciate you, but I am also going to play this little clip because it makes me insane of Bernie on the view being asked by uh, Whoopi Goldberg. If he's ever heard of the idea of like universal programs. <laughs> Because she heard about this really cool idea called Medicare for All from Andrew Yang. Watch this. You, you, you can't you can't memory hold this stuff, guys. You got to remember this can, stuff. Can I ask a question? I just I, I just Andrew Yang was here and made perfect <laughs> sense to me. Um, and I haven't heard really anybody else in the party, whatever party we're we're talking about, uh, say, "Hey, do you realize that if Facebook and Amazon and and all the other gigantic corporations." paid any tax, we could find some relief for regular Americans. Sure. Do you agree with that? Of course I do. I've been talking about that for years. Well, no, I haven't. I See, I, when Andrew came on and sort of broke it down, what he suggested, and I'm sure you know this because you've been spending time with him, but his idea was, you know, <laughs> if one of those companies gave uh, every American a grant, people's lives would change. Why? Uh, what do you think of such an uh, idea? But this is what I think. Okay. I, I think that right now, when you have Donald Trump and his friends giving well over a trillion dollars in tax breaks to the 1% and large profitable corporations, I think that's obscene. Right, but you, uh, will you change that? Of course I'll change it. Well, how do I, how so do I know this? I'm, I've been talking about it for 25 years. Well, you yeah. haven't. <laughs> not for me. Not like this. Yeah, but look, it's a little different. What you got right now, yeah. Whoopi, this is what you got. You got Amazon 
owned by the wealthiest guy in America, uh -huh. made over $10 billion in profit last year. Do you know what they paid in federal income tax? Nothing. Not a penny. Yeah, I know. That's insane. It I is. know. So what I'm asking you is it's your position that these corporations, all of these big corporations will now, if you're elected president, one of the things you're going to make sure that they do is they pay their fair share and that will trickle to the American people. That's at the very top of my agenda. Absolutely. Yes, that's Absolutely. I don't, you know, I, I, I don't really know because, you know, I've, I've watched you over the last several years and, and I've had lots of questions about what you want to do. So I... I, if, I if, Yang's also talking about giving every American money. Yes. All right, but if you... I'm talking about giving every American a job, which I think is what I think is terribly important. We have an enormous amount of work to be done in this country in terms of climate change to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel. We're talking about creating up to 20 million good-paying jobs. Yeah. We're talking about rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure. Mm -hmm. We're talking about building the millions of units of affordable housing. But everybody does, country everybody thinks that, Bernie. No. Everybody well, said, everybody well in all due respect, I think the agenda that I am bringing forth is the most progressive agenda ever brought forth by any candidate, serious candidate running for president of the United Which, States. Can I, you want to ask a question? I just want to ask something on that point, because Nancy Pelosi is now saying that the moderate is the one is going to, that basically is the most elected. Well, I love Nancy, but she and I disagree on this issue. I think the way you beat Donald Trump, and I must say that in my view, Donald Trump is the most dangerous president probably in the history of this country. We agree. That's what gets the applause, finally. Yeah. And, and it gives me no pleasure to say this. It really does not, because I have conservative friends who I like and respect. But Trump Can is... I hear any in Congress or the Senate? I am, I'm generally curious about bipartisanship. Can you no, name one? Johnny people? Isaacson of Georgia, who's recently retired. I was like, he's retired. Johnny is a very... Your dad was somebody but, but, I work but with. But they're dead and now not... It's Johnny is anymore. not dead. I know, but he's not. He's leaving. He's, yeah. he's leaving. They resign. They retire. Look, even somebody like a George W. Bush, who was a very conservative okay, guy. in office. That you, that if you were president, that you would work with on the other side. Lamar Alexander. Okay. All right. Lamar is head of the committee that I'm on, the Health, Education, Labor Committee. Mm -hmm. Lamar is a conservative Republican. Lamar is not a liar. Lamar is not a sexist. He's not a racist. He's not a homophobe. He's a conservative guy. It's called mm -hmm. American politics. So I, you know, work with your dad. I work with other people on issues where we can come together. That's what I think American politics is supposed to be about. Uh -huh. But you have a president today. Okay, I'll, I'll end this torture machine. But you guys heard that, right? Like, you heard you heard that not a single person clapped for at all the moments when it was like, have the most progressive agenda, da-da-da-da-da, they didn't care. And Whoopi Goldberg's sitting there acting like, like literally talking to Aquaman, like, look, Superman came by and he told me about this thing called the ocean. And I'm wondering if you'd heard of it. <laughs> Okay. All right. Sorry. Um, uh, Schnarf, you're up. What's on your mind, Schnarf? Schnarf, can you unmute yourself? Schnarf? Schnarf? Hey, sorry. You keep saying Schnarf. This app, okay. this app is so buggy. Sorry it's about okay. that. You okay. So... I have a I have a question and I, I saw I saw the segment and I was looking at the guy and it, it got me to interested in seeing what the conservative argument is, right? So I went through and I saw everything they have to say, but one of the things that they were saying is that it's unconstitutional. Now, I don't know shit about law, so I'm kind of looking for you to give me the answer. But what they're saying is that this uh, the, the, the legitimate argument, well, it isn't a legitimate argument, but I'm going to read it to you anyways, is that the ability for Congress to give away its power is highly dubious, and the Higher Education Act does not authorize blanket cancellation, only forgiveness under specific loan repayment programs. So what it, why, why is it that every argument that, that they have 
does it have to always have an orgasmic return to the Constitution? Because that's the whole point of the Constitution is to keep progress from happening. I'm sorry. That's why on so many episodes we've talked about the cost benefit of just eliminating the Constitution. Like, I, I, I'm not I'm – not, like, this is, this is why. Because if you define the parameters of the possibility of American politics by this stupid piece of fucking paper that, like, a bunch of guys came up with 200 years ago, then you're not going to get anything. And there's always a read for people who want to come up with a justification that's not a moral justification. Because here's what's happening. No one wants to sit here and make the moral argument against a popular policy that is actually literally helping people. They know that they sound like craven devils to get on TV and say millions of people, 44 million people are thrilled right now that they got some relief from their government after being defrauded basically by these companies that have been charging them usurious uh, interest rates that will make – Make it so that none of the people involved in this process have a chance in hell of getting into heaven if you care about the Bible or anything that has ever been written in there about usury, okay? They can't get on TV and just say the plain thing true. So they have to say, oh, well, you know, it's like I would have helped someone, but it's constitutional. What can I say? I'm only the legislature. I'm only the people who write the laws and run the country. But my hands are tied because some schmo who didn't know how to brush his teeth 200 years ago told me that this was against the law. And so they're going to always use that argument. I wouldn't credit it. I don't fucking credit the Constitution in the first place. And they – look, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're not going to try something. Of course they're going to try it for the reasons that I talked about at the end of my radar because they cannot have an America where people are under the debt yoke. What happens if but, we're but not so, under the debt so yoke? So I think – what I think the easier argument is is this, is that the government is essentially the creditor, right? So like if you have an asset and you have debt, right, it's, it's one side of the, the – let's call it the balance sheet, right? The government owns the debt, right? 92 percent of it at least is, is – it belongs to the government. So for them to pull out a, pull out a pen and say cancel – is like it, it's literally the easiest thing to do, and that in itself is two trillion dollars that goes out of the hands of 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 debt bondage and rentier capitalism, and back to like people, regular people, right? I mean, so, yeah, that's the logic. That's the argument we've been making this. Whole so, time. so what? So, okay, so it seems like there is a there's kind of like this culture where everything is is. It's like if you give something away, you're taking away something from me, and that seems to be the ideological yoke that people are under. And you have a lot of these libertarian types that you probably talk to on on, on Rising because that's just – it seems like they're always there. Do you think that the American left can ever reconcile with libertarians, not just on one issue but but as a whole? I don't know. I'm not sure that I understand what that means. What does it mean to reconcile with libertarians? I mean, do you think that you could build a broader coalition between the American left and libertarians? Because I don't believe that's possible. And, and there are a few people that have said this over and over again. But I was wondering what your take was. I mean, I don't think I can build a coalition with my mom on everything that is going to come down the pike. I mean, so what is the question? Can we get libertarians to agree to be anti-war? Yes. Can you get some libertarians to vote for a left candidate like Bernie Sanders? Yes. I, I'm just – it feels like a little bit like you're asking me, can I ever get everybody in the world to line up in a row and raise their hand at the exact same time? I mean, of course not. But that's not really the goal, is it? Ask me what is the specific goal that you want to attain? Do you want what I'm libertarians saying, what to I'm join saying. your left movement, that your left movement is successful? Yes, I think that's possible. 
But okay. I don't I don't have a need for every libertarian or everybody on the planet to ever agree with my agenda. So it feels a little bit like you know, an unnecessary question. Can I jump six feet in there? No. I, but that's not why do I need to, you know? Well, do we need to? Do we need to actually go out and, and and as as the left is growing in this country, do we need to go out and actually get libertarians to to either reconcile some kind of compromised belief with with the left, or is it just something that that like because I hear people say that, well, and I'm, and I'm asking. I, don't, I guess I just don't understand why libertarians. Why the focus the on reason, libertarians? They're not a, they're not an especially large political group. They're they're, they're not number but, than but, Republicans. They are going to be ideologically opposed to anything that involves government doing a thing, whether it's a regulatory thing or growing the government at all or spending. So they, I mean, they're kind of except for getting a couple of eyes on criminal justice policies and anti-war policies. They're just I, I wouldn't focus on them in the least. So this isn't a trap or anything. What I what I did is I had a I had a I had a discussion with someone and their idea was that that we should strive to bring those kind of people, especially from the Midwest and and the heartland, into the fold of the American so called left and to try to to try to create some kind of a compromised belief. And I was like, hell no, this doesn't make any sense. These people are antithetical to the very principles of what is the left, right? In my belief, at least. And he has a fondness for you. So I figured I'd ask you. Yeah, I, think, I think it depends. I think it depends. But I, I you know, I think it's, it depends. But to me, I guess my indifference to this is that it's irrelevant. You try to pitch yourself broadly into as many people as possible. And if they bite, they bite. I don't have a magic ball that says with whom it's going to work and with whom it's going to fail. And I certainly, I, I'm not in a place where I'm like, well, we should super hyper focus on libertarians. No, if you're answering me, if that's the question, then no. If the question is, should I middle finger middle libertarians because they don't give a fuck about them? No, also no. I think that there's probably a lot of people who are, you know, who think that like, let's say anti-interventionism is their number one priority and who very easily could be absorbed into or at least vote for a leftist. And there's other libertarians who have other priorities who absolutely would never, would never. You know? Like the guy you had on, you got the guy you spoke to today. Is he supposed to be libertarian? Uh, he He's from the FEE. So I would assume that he's either uh, like, in terms, economically speaking, he, he's definitely a libertarian. Everything yeah. else, I don't know what the hell no, he would like, be. That, I mean, that's, it's a little bit frustrating sometimes that the show allied some of the realities of the conservative movement by dealing so often with Repub with uh, libertarians. But one, you can't have a conversation with a libertarian because they will just like, I, and I respect this about Robbie, but he'll just be like, I, you know, I don't, I don't believe the government should do anything. So you completely sidestep any moral question about what the government should or shouldn't do or what the ethics of not helping people when you can are, because if you just acknowledge that all of those moral questions are irrelevant to you, the primary motivation for you is whether or not government is small, then it, do they actually believe in, that or do they say that because they're getting paid? Well, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not in the business of imputing those kinds of things, imputing motives to people. But the, the fact of the matter is that's how the arguments go. So, like, there's this guy in my, who is in my mentions right now, like, I'll debate this with you on bad faith. And it's like, I mean, that's just so boring to me. 
One, because you're not going to say anything that I didn't just have to say to Brad on bad faith and that I haven't said in a million radars and in a million episodes with people who have know more and have thought more about this issue and have anticipated all of your questions than you. But also, you don't believe in anything. So what am I getting out of this? Most people aren't like you. Most people believe in stuff. You admittedly don't believe in anything. If you want to sit here and say, I don't think we should help people, I respect your right to believe that. But I have nothing to say to you. Because I do believe in helping people, so I'm going to go and try other people to find people who also want to help people. And you can sit alone on your sad little depressive island by yourself. And I hope you're strong and have lots of money because you apparently think that you know, you, you're you an island. You know? Well, so, he used like, to be a security guard. Yeah, well. <laughs> I, I also was a security guard in college. I worked in the science museum, and I told people not to touch things. So I guess we're all working class heroes. <laughs> like I don't know, man. <laughs> like pe- people have a tough people have tough times. That doesn't make give an excuse to be a fucking asshole. I'm sorry. <laughs> you having a tough time does not is not an excuse for you to turn around and say everybody else is struggle, especially when you are not struggling currently. I think that's sadistic and cruel, and I ha- I don't have very much patience for it. Well, Answer my question. Thanks for calling in, Schnarf. Um, hey Kyle, what's on your mind? Give it a second because apparently we are dealing with bugs. Kyle, can you talk for us? I can't hear you yet, even though I can see that you are unmuted. Kyle going once. Kyle going twice. All right, Kyle, go back to the end and we'll see if it works again in the future. I will pull you out from the back if I see you. Hey, Omar, what's on your mind? Hey, Brie. Uh, it's been a while. Um, what are you thinking of? Oh, there's another Omar <laughs> that calls. I think I talked to you yeah. last time. Yeah, yeah. There, there are a bunch of us, and both Latinos, so it gets confusing. Oh, I thought you were Greek. LOL, because the I mean, I kind of have a hypothesis about the meltdown it, I can relate it to the um, the way that the U.S. Uh, in its foreign policy doesn't want, especially in in uh, the global South, doesn't want any uh, nation to have like a successful socialist government um, because of the threat of the good example. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is kind of what might be behind the the outrage uh, among a bunch of other things um that there's a threat there that if it's been done then maybe we can also push some more and have more debt uh and then start and it'll just open the floodgates mm-hmm. uh, and then there's the whole bullshit uh belief that we live in a meritocracy and that uh, in the Protestant work ethic, um, like none of that holds up uh, against the data. Uh, people who are poor more than likely are going to stay poor, and and there there's just this giant boot on top of people. So like I, I it's just I think it's in bad faith, um, and or it, it's just kind of like this hierarchy enhancing elitist kind of uh, ideology that's behind it. Uh, people don't realize, and it's 
going back to one of the Bernie Bernie's talking points is other countries have done this uh, in terms of like providing free education for their citizens. Uh, China lifted people, millions of people out of poverty uh, with, with, I mean, they're problematic in some ways, uh, but I just don't get why we can't think of the future and invest in our people and understand that, like, there's just so much wasted human potential in this Mm -hmm. country. Uh, And to what, you know, to what end so that very few people can have these ridiculous, lavish lifestyles. Uh, I mean, just think of all the things that we're foregoing, uh, mm-hmm. all the all the uh, synergy of people who are doing well, or educated, or have skills. Um, it, it it just it's mind-boggling that people just don't think this way. Uh, and I've always like talk to to friends and said um the people who are in power right now are are kind of reliant on us having electricity having all this technology having a certain infrastructure if we were to be go through some sort of catastrophe uh some sort of cataclysm where uh, our ability to generate power was gone they would really see how like contingent their their power their status is on these very simple things and how farmers uh people with like quote-unquote real life skills would would be like boosted up to the top of the the hierarchy Mm -hmm. it's just so much hubris it is such short-sightedness um yeah i saw this thing on uh, on a youtube channel by this mit scientist saying that in 2025 there's a projection that there might be a i think like a solar activity that is potentially gonna just knock out uh some of a lot of our uh, electrical infrastructure and it's gonna take years and years to to rebuild and it's just i mean if that happens they they they'll probably see just how foolish they've been <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i mean i definitely think the the well done here is because they completely understand the precedent that this sets and that's exactly why we should be keep we should keep demanding more in this moment 100% i think your your point about uh why the you know domino theory motivated uh international politics foreign policy for the last hundred years. It's all of it. Um, and I think the Biden administration may not even fully realize what it got itself into. I'm looking at a, a infographic that points out that 20 million people have their loans fully canceled with us. And as much as, yeah, we gotta like keep pushing for more, that's, you know, that's an incredible thing. 20 million people, like Obama spent all of his term crowing about how 20 million people got on health insurance, which obviously was a big deal. And, you know, it's important. But Biden just gave, like, just canceled the loans of 20 million people fully, not even to mention the other 23 million people who are affected by this. Like, the ability to just really touch people's lives like this, it's extraordinary. And it makes people have higher expectations of government. So I, I agree, Omar, and I appreciate you calling in. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Take care. Talk to you. Hey, Alex, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hey, can you hear me? I can. 
Cool. Um, what's on my mind? Um, I mean, kind of like what you were just saying about it, it's been really fun <laughs> to like go on social media and like see people I know just like being really happy about something the government did for them. And, yeah. you know, seeing people just saying like, all of my loans are canceled or most of my loans are canceled. And um, it, it's, it reminds me of the time, like, I feel like the last time this happened was honestly when like Biden announced that they were going to like make free COVID tests available. And everyone was like, Oh my gosh, it's so easy. I can just go on this website and order tests. And um, yeah, it's just yeah. been kind of enjoyable um, to, to see that. Um, but also I, I, I saw a, a take <laughs> that I wanted your I wanted your advice on like how to respond to it because I saw this like former coworker of mine. Um, I, I used to work at a fairly like conservative university, um, and I was kind of like the only leftist in the office, which I think people were really kind of fascinated by because um, mm. they'd never met one before. <laughs> and I mean, it was like my office was like conservatives, like straight up Republicans. And like some like kind of Hillary Clinton liberals, mm -hmm. but I had this one coworker who I loved talking politics with because she was kind of um, kind of an ex-conservative, kind of libertarian-y, but liked Andrew Yang, which I thought was interesting. And like, anyway, <laughs> that was kind of tangential. But like, um, how do you how do you respond? How would you respond to someone concerned over this relief? Uh, hurting inflation was like the take that she posted. And I was like, ah, how do, how do you respond? Okay. So look, there's a bigger conversation about MMT, supply chain crisis, war in Ukraine, all these other things that are causing inflation. And when we've had people on like, um, uh, um, Fidel Kaboob, Dr. Professor Kaboob, like, he will often just admit, like, this X, Y, and Z is inflationary. Like, of course, this X, Y, and Z is inflationary. The question is what's really driving inflation. And the point that he makes is that there are, are these sectors, including education, but also healthcare, uh, transportation, and I always forget the last one, um, that are driving inflation. What, I mean, like, and, and to and the, combine that with the Richard Wolff argument, what is inflation? It's prices going up. Okay, so what's causing the prices to go up? You know, it's not just like this magical, mystical, like force, like the tide that we mm -hmm. can't control. And there's, there's real inputs here. And so there's one argument that I haven't really heard anybody making, and I don't want to be the one that makes it because I'm not an economist. This is that actually tackling the root of the education inflation will actually bring down costs. Stopping inflation is bringing down costs. Okay. The other thing you can do to help people with inflation is put more money in their pockets so they can help to withstand it. And what I really find mm -hmm. interesting about this inflation conversation is that the payouts, all the spending that gets talked about, we are seeing now, we're seeing it now with the conversation about PPP, but it's not just PPP. It was um, the uh, initial bailout. It was the um, American Rescue Plan and the first COVID relief bill that overwhelmingly proportionally, especially that first one, went to the, the 1%. And none of that spending is ever in question. So what we're basically always told is that you have to choke the, the spending of working class people, do nothing to limit the spending of the rich in order to curb inflation. I don't accept that. If we have money to go out, if, if you have to lower the amount of money going out of the door, let's make it easier for people who are on the margins to survive and curb money back up from the top. 
but nobody wants to ever tax the rich. No one wants to have a conversation about structural changes to prevent supply chain crises like this from happening now in the future, in the future, because it's a consequence of jobs being sent overseas by selfish corporatists who wanted to make pennies on the dollar by exploiting cheap labor. No one wants to talk about green energy solutions that help to prevent the kind of back logs on oil that we're experiencing right now. And also, yes, ending the war in Ukraine through diplomacy and not weapons. No one wants to talk about getting at the root causes of inflation in the educational sector, which is, yes, in part, these federal loans that have driven off, you know, made it so everybody can afford 60, I mean, everybody can access, not afford, but access $60,000 a year worth of loans to go to these colleges and, and therefore has driven up the cost of colleges. Like, no, no one actually wants to talk about that. So my, my first response is that it seems really in bad faith when you didn't care about any of the inflationary effects that involve money going to rich people, but suddenly now you're all concerned. Second, there have been actual scores by economists done that show that the inflationary effect of this is very minimal, drops in the bucket compared mm-hmm. to all of the other spending that's happened all this time. And third, I would say, if you're so concerned about inflation, why are you const- consistently and only targeting low-income people spending and not the spending of the rich? And why, at, before Wednesday... August 24th of 2022, did I never hear you say a single thing about wanting to get to the root causes of any of these things that are driving inflation? But I, yeah. I, do, I think that it's <laughs> worth having a conversation with an actual economist. And maybe I'll ask um, Fidel Kabub if he will come back on and, and specifically talk about these arguments that are ongoing with inflation. But I, like, I'm honestly over fucking inflation. If I'm going to be really honest, I don't care. Like, I don't care. Because inflation... Yeah. So, somebody made this argument. I don't know if it was on this show or somewhere else. Um, but that inflation, the reason rich people really hate inflation is because it really hurts people who, it hurts people who have like money in the bank more than people who don't. I don't, I, I don't understand. My brain can't really process the logistics of that right now. But that it's not really, our, our concern is whether you can afford the things in the store. Can you afford the things in the store? Can normal people afford the things in the store? You know, and and if not, what is the what is driving it? Is it that Pampers are magically going up in price, or is it because we can't get enough Pampers because of the supply chain? And if and if gouging poor people, gouging working people, and withholding their salaries and preventing them from being able to pay off their student loans, it's not going to magically make baby formula from Denmark appear on the shelf. It's not. Then why are you doing it? It's not doing anything, right? Like, I, I think that that's part of, like, the main problem here is that the cause and effect, inflation isn't just this big cauldron that you pour everything into. Yeah. There are very specific cause and effect mechanisms here that are getting ignored so that you can use it as an excuse to withhold spending for poor people and ignore the fact that if you really cared about spending, there's a hell of a lot of spending going on by the 1% because the, young, the, the poor people are too poor to spend right now anyway. Yeah. No, that's all great. Um <laughs> I thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I, I, I'm no expert, but I, I will, I will get one in the room. No, yeah, I think that's good um, ammunition to, you know, <laughs> talk to my friend who's concerned about this for whatever reason. Um, it's like at the end of the day, if you're if there was somebody who's starving on the pavement, and you were going to give them ten dollars. Would someone stop you and be like, oh, my God, that's going to cause inflation? Inflation. I mean, come on. Just, like, think about it. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I will. Yeah. I will say, I think, you know, I mean, like your radar today addressed, like, this is a a drop in the bucket of, like, the structural 
you know, problem of college affordability, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and which I also think my, my friend was like pointing out and, you know, we used to work in education. And mm-hmm. so we, I mean, we, we worked in college admission. We were the ones uh, convincing students to <laughs> go to this really expensive school who, that I, I won't say which one it was, but uh, we both stopped working there because we didn't like doing it. Um, uh, I never, I mean, I never convinced anyone to take out a crazy parent plus loan. Some of my colleagues did, but <laughs> Um, you, you, we need some whistleblowers on the program. Oh God, um, God, I, I could I could tell you so much about college admission. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could. There's a reason I I left because um, I don't I don't know if anyone in college admission has good politics. Um, yeah, I bet that's true. there's there's a lot of Kool Aid tasting, um, and I think the like young youngish professionals who like get it as their first out of college job like are like yeah. oh get me out of here and no yeah. Yeah. No one's gonna. Yeah. Look, no, no judgment here. I was a corporate lawyer for seven <laughs> years. So. It's okay. It's okay. We all, you know, <laughs> do things. Well, I wasn't making any money, so that was also another reason to get out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I hear that. All right. Well, look, I hope that was helpful, and I really will try to get someone with real answers. Maybe I can finally get. I know she's so busy, and everyone's always um, clamoring for her. But Stephanie Kelson on the podcast, it's a good moment for that. But thanks for calling in, Alex. Thanks, Bree. All right, Tosin, what's on your mind this evening? Salut, ça va bien? Ça va bien, merci. Good, good, good. All right. By the way, the show started a little bit earlier today, so I'd like I've had to run back from the from like the gym and stuff. Um, I wanted to check the the vibe that we're gonna have today. Is it gonna be sticking with student loan, or can I go off on a tangent? You can go off on a tangent. I started I early because I have um, some dinner plans, but we started with the, the the Cool in the Gang celebration, so that's kind of that set the tone a little bit. I think. Okay. <laughs> but you okay. can go off I on whatever. Like, all right. I feel like I woke up choosing violence today. Like I'm gonna. <laughs> I have <laughs> I have two points that I want to make. Um, I think the first one you probably will agree with, and the second one is where you're gonna start yelling at me. Okay. So the first point is, <laughs> the first point is, I think um, we typically shouldn't punch down. I think anyone with a massive media platform shouldn't punch down. And I'm gonna say this in the context of the interview you had with Ben Jealous. If you remember, you mm-hmm. guys were vibing like it was so it was so fun. And then halfway through the conversation, he started going in at um, at uh, defund the police. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, no, 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 not today, not on my show. <laughs> and you're like, you know, even though you might agree with some of the critique of maybe the, the phrase, you know, you know, even though you might agree, maybe you don't, but even, even if you might agree, the limited media platform that you have, you won't be going on, med- um, on mainstream media um, and then shitting on the, on, the, on the movement. The only movement, by the way, that actually galvanized folks to actually start thinking about how we restructure policing mm-hmm. all over the world as a whole. So um, I think you and I kind of agree there. So that's mm-hmm. number one. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So no, no debates there. <laughs> All right. The <laughs> second point, however, is I feel like there is probably an, an opportunity in a safe space like this where maybe we should definitely punch down. And I want to use your example of um, India Walton's um, um, election. So she won mm-hmm. a primary. And then they had a write-in campaign. A write-in campaign, which meant people had to write people's names on a ballot for that for, for India to actually lose that election mm-hmm. I feel at some point we need to have a an honest conversation and maybe this is hard and I, I'm sure the folks in the in the chat are going to be triggered right now but I feel like maybe this is a chance we people are maybe not as smart as we think they are basically 
we want to give people, you know, democracy in the workplace, people probably would actually make the wrong choices. For people, for India to have lost, like I cannot, like it baffles my mind, for India to have lost that election, there have to be people who went out of their way to cut a pen, write down another <laughs> candidate's name. And, and I feel like maybe in a safe space like this, I feel like maybe we should be able to criticize voters. We should be able to say, how come during the primary in 2020, 70% of, of boomers actually turned up to vote for the pro-segregationists, the, the, the Biden that is currently the president. However, they saw Bernie, but only about 14% turned up in terms of youth, in terms of youth folks vote. We need to be honest about ourselves to say, are we doing, maybe not all of us in this, in this forum, but are we doing enough? Are people making the right choices? Are people smart enough to say, actually, the stakes are high. The planet is on fire. 68,000 people die every year because of there's no Medicare for all. Get up and go vote. Get up and go register. You know, things like that. And I feel like maybe we're not, we're not having enough of that conversation. But here you go. I, Criticize I and, and challenge. <laughs> I think it's possible to be fierce in your advocacy and impassioned in your advocacy um, without the shaming. And I don't not like the shaming aspect because I have some Pollyannish, you know, attitude, but because I just don't think it works. It's actually demotivating because it makes people feel guilty and to withdraw instead of feeling empowered and righteous and angry. So, you know, I am also, like, flabbergasted by what it means for India Walton to have lost in a write-in campaign. I think it says something about low turnout. I think it says something about um, the power of the purse and uh, Mayor Brown's ability to get his name out. I mean, like, to, to, to use advertising dollars and flyers to get people to do what they wanted him to do, fear-mongering about India and socialism and all of those other kinds of things. Um, but I don't know that, you know, I don't know exactly what it is that you think would have made the outcome different or what kind of rhetoric would have made the outcome different there as opposed to organizing and perhaps or having more money for ads or things like that, which, again, are, are important things. And I don't but I don't think that they're the same thing as 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 being like we need to talk down to people or be angry or people or patronize people more to get them to turn out. What do you say to that? Yeah, I don't know. You you probably sway me a little bit. I just feel like perhaps the the people who are doing the writing campaign, mm -hmm. like we need to have an honest conversation with them to say, wh why are you choosing a corporate candidate over someone that could bring us a better a better future? Well, Tosin, I think why the are you is, go that language is just so foreign, and that's part of the problem yeah. with the left. It's like why are you choosing a corporate candidate? We we learned. I learned. Let's speak for myself. To in 2016 to look at candidates through the lens of do you take corporate money first and foremost, and then you do support a slate of policies that are my linchpin policies. But other kinds of people are voting on very different metrics. Like, are you a Democrat? Do you support the president? <laughs> and so you have to. Teach, think... It's not shaming people, but you got to teach people screaming at someone. They're a corporate candidate. Yeah. Doesn't do anything if they don't know that they shouldn't like corporate candidates or that they know there's an alternative to something called a corporate candidate. You saw what happened when Bernie called Hillary Clinton or when he called uh, NARAL or Planned Parenthood or whatever an establishment group. No one knew what that meant. We know what that means. But to them, they just heard, oh, there's this women's group. 
that I've been giving money to for years who helps women get reproductive care, and you just call them what sounds like a nasty word. You got to, and I think it's a more of a vernacular issue and helping people to see the world the way that we see the world, which obviously we think is right. That sounds patronizing, but that's obviously true. And then you won't have to do a bunch of haranguing and yelling and lecturing because they'll just agree with you when told the facts about the candidate. But the facts don't land if they just don't have, we're not speaking the same language. Yeah. Maybe, like, obviously, I want to be respectful of everyone's time. So maybe this would be my last point. I feel like we're, going back to my point originally, I feel like we're treating people like they're not smart enough. We're in the same world that everyone is in where 68,000 people die each year because there is no universal health care. The homelessness crisis is out, out here in these streets. Veterans are dying every year. Like all, all this information, they, they, they turn on the TV and they can see a fire. You know, they can see California burning, Australia burning. The Amazon is burning. You know, like the good Amazon, not the bad Amazon, is burning. Um, but like th this is a new information. Like, no, 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 you people are, you're getting the same amount of information I'm getting. So why, how come you're not processing it with the same amount of urgency as the rest of us? Um, and I think maybe maybe you're right. Maybe shaming doesn't work. I just feel like the the way we've we've done it and the way we've kind of coddled people, um, I guess, isn't working either. And um, I guess maybe my my approach is maybe a little bit more cynical and like just giving up. And but anyway, well, look, Justin, I just let thought me know I, how I just it goes. go out into the world. I, I, I don't mean that like no, no, in a no. flippant way. But let me know how it goes. No. Go out into the world and and report back to us and tell us tell us how. No, it I mean like, even. Even my father, so my, my dad, um, like, you know, it's not like we can vote anyway, but um, we, we've been Nigerians, but um, he was supporting Biden during the primary, for instance, no matter how much I yelled, no matter how much I screamed. Um, and I think he only, he only switched his support um, after um, Biden supported, like, the, the, the Gaza rating that happened, in, I think, in 2021. Um, yeah, so last year. I was like, oh, it took you this long. I'm like... The fact that the fact that you you probably wouldn't get people wouldn't get health care with Biden didn't didn't change your priorities, but the fact that oh he stood with the first black president was more important to you than than the fact that everybody can get health care. Um, so yeah, don't get me wrong, I, I agree with you. Like shaming people and yelling at them hasn't worked for me anyway. My experience, right? But I just think I mean look, I, you gotta look. It doesn't feel good, but you gotta learn to respect why it is that people are making their choices because they can feel when you don't like, I don't think obviously that standing with the first black president is as important as getting people healthcare. But I know a lot of people who are like, like my mom, she's a leftist, but there is a sensitivity around Obama that I don't have and that I respect because her life experiences are different than mine. And she's from a different generation. And like, it's like the bar is low, but there is a certain kind of older black person who's like, oh, this white person is willing to shake my hand and, you know, drink off my straw and sit down at this dinner table with me and doesn't treat me like I'm an animal. And they're, and that is foreign to me in my life experience. And that really means something to them because they're so used to a different level of disrespect. And if we don't understand that and if you can't kind of meet someone where they are, then they're going to feel that and they're going to shut that shut shut you down and they're not going to hear whatever arguments you're making about universal health care. They're going to grind their heels in a, as a matter of principle. And, you know, and it's tough. And I'm not saying that everyone has to sit around and, like, entertain what are arguments that feel very minimizing. Because it's like, yeah, fuck, obviously, 68,000 dead people. Why are we talking about, you know, how lovely it feels to have a black president? But that yeah. is, like, that is unfortunately... 
what it takes, I think, in my experience. But again, I'm open to being wrong, I'm be to- being, being proven wrong. Uh, but I appreciate you calling in with that little thought experiment, Tosin. But no, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm sorry I went over. No, Shout no, you're good. The chat as well. I'm going to jump around a little bit to try to search for, new, for, for some new faces. So Janess, take keep the faith, Tosin. Janess, look alive. I'm coming to you. Janess? Janess? Janess going once? Janess going twice? Everybody look alive because if you're in the back of the line, don't get comfortable. I'm feeling frisky. Okay, Janess. Oh! Are you with us, Janess? I see you unmuted. I'm going to give you... Five, four, three, two, one. I know it's the app, and it's not you. Go to the back, and I'll try again. Amanda, what's on your mind? Hi, Brianna. How you doing, Amanda? I'm doing pretty okay. Celebration, that's a very good thing. <laughs> I'm so, so happy. I'm not even going to bring up what my, I think the reservations are. Not tonight. Because I think you did a really great job both in the radar. I, I don't know if you watched the radar afterwards to see what they put in. But like there was a picture they put in of Vernie that he had the weirdest look on his face. And it was like him going up an escalator and it was mirrored. And he just looked really goofy in the picture. It was bizarre. That's so funny. So I, I pick the images, except for there was a moment where, like, I tripped up when reading the radar. And instead of restarting uh-huh. from the beginning, they'll just be like, restart and we'll add a photo over it. So that sounds like maybe what they added over it. <laughs> okay, well, and then and then there was a weird thing where we were panning across a vague, uh, a, a, like, um, a, an unfocused, like, university classroom or something. Huh, it was just kind of a either. weird... It was a weird, maybe it was just my, maybe it was just when I watched it on YouTube. It was just kind of a weird, but, but I, I, it, it was very funny to watch, to watch Brad's face when you were making your points and he was so ready to, to, I'm right. He was so ready to not agree with you that when he was finding himself having to agree with you, he was having a hard time with it. I thought you handled yourself quite well. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, like, look, it, I know people in the comments say that I interrupt and I talk too much. And, like, that's fair. I do think that part of debate is being able to control the space. So, like, I mean, yes. it's better if that's what you want to do. But also, like, yes. if you do a compound statement with, like, five wrong things in it, I'm not going to let you, like, <laughs> yeah. show. Like, I just want you to, yeah. like, I, I, I'll let you keep going, but, like, you're not going to sit there and say that lie. You're not, you're just not. <laughs> right. So we are going to stop and we're going to correct the, the record. So, yeah. Yes, for sure. And I, the, the other thing about the, I don't know because I'm not that on Twitter, but so I don't know specifically who the people are who are complaining about this thing because like, oh, but I had to pay off my student loans. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think it seems it, it would stand to reason it would be the people who were basically Gen X, my generation, people who were graduating 
um, college, like in the 90s, in the mid to late 90s, and and who when college was just starting to get expensive, so mm-hmm. a lot of us got out without having those. I remember my like last year, and I remember my brother was right behind me in the same university, and and his his fees went up significantly not too long after I left. Mm. So, so, I mean, I kind of slipped in price wise, but here's the thing. My parents and the people who were in Congress, all of those people had, had jobs where they made like $10,000, $15,000 a year, but a house only cost you 30 grand. Mm-hmm. And, and because of when I was born and the way that our stupid economy has been set up and the cycles and where they are, I'm just basically going to be SOL. And a lot of my contemporaries are too. And we're of an age where if we had student loan, we probably have paid it off and we probably worked our tail off and felt really good about paying it off. And now, and now it's like, okay, but I'm not moving up in the companies because the old people won't retire. I can't get into office because Nancy Pelosi thinks that it's good to be an octogenarian in office. We couldn't get somebody on the Supreme Court because people won't step down and get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's a very frustrating. And so I think you're probably hearing some of the frustration that, fr- like that you're hearing from me, from these folks who are, who are like, well, that's not fair. I had to pay mine because, because while we we didn't really get in on the good days when salaries were still kind of going up i mean they were flat we didn't come out in the recession but we came out in the in the dot com bubble yeah, and there was has, a lot going on everyone so, has had it bad it's it's been bad right. what what makes me so upset is the idea that People are not you, obviously, but like these right. weirdos on the internet are playing this weird comparison yeah. game instead of being like, right. "Yeah, we're all we're all in this together. Let's get right. let's get what's ours." Like, and yep. also yep. people who are like, "Well, well, should I get my money back?" I mean, if you're really asking me, Brianna Joy Gray, hell yeah! Like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. Let's give you money. So people are like, "Let's give every single poor per- let's give every single person in America ten thousand dollars." Fuck yeah, I'm for that. Yes. Like, yes. Don't be yes. mad at me. Tell that to Joe Biden. I'm not the one standing yes. in the way. But you know, you don't, yes. even, you don't even really want that. You don't believe in that. You're just trying to be an asshole. Right. You know, right. to undermine this policy of something that we actually can get. So that's what really makes me crazy. When Sparky made the point yesterday on the show that the stat that came out that everyone's talking about, like, oh, it, it helps the top 60% of earners. He's like, it also helps the bottom 60% of earners. Because right. it's concentrated <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> like, right. It's the middle. Right. right. And, like... That when we're talking about this, is what I was saying in that clip that I played earlier. Like, you're like, oh, so the, you know, the top 80 percentile of earners. Like, I hate to tell you this, but the way our income distribution <laughs> is, the top 80 80th percent of earner is like a guy making seventy five thousand dollars a year. Right. And not that right. much money. So it, it, it is both true that somebody making seventy five thousand dollars a year is doing way better than the American average, and also that it's not that much money. That's right. And And the other thing is, I I wanted to offer a a suggested um, solution for people that that 
would kind of get this anger about, well, what, how, where's, where's my toy? I remember my dad would come home from a vacation, right? And there was always, we always got a toy. One time there was only one for my brother. Well, where's mine? I want some, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're acting like children about, about that. Mm-hmm. But I think what you could do is you could, you just say, we'll forgive a hundred percent of any student loan debt and in uh, over a five year period. And you could tier it so the first year it's 10%, second year it's 20%, and it goes up. But if you serve for five years, and serve could be being a teacher, either at the college level or in schools where they are desperately needed right now, mm-hmm. right? Or, you could, or it could be some other kind of service because not everybody should be a teacher. Because right. not everybody can be a teacher. But there's other kinds of things that we could be doing with these college educated. And if we're investing the money anyway, the country's money anyway, let's get a little service on, on, on the other side of it, you know, like a civilian conservation corps. Well, did you see the person who, you know, tweeted and admitted that they won't be able to recruit for the military anymore if they cancel student debt? Yeah, like, right. This, this is why these moments are so important. This is such a powerful day. This is such a powerful moment, not because of the value of the 10000 although, of course, it is extremely valuable for so many people. But it the is. rhetorical value and the political value of what it's teaching Americans about what's possible in the exact same way that those stimulus checks taught um, taught Americans what was possible. And even the COVID vaccine rollout, the way that we had all of these volunteers and all of these hospitals and schools and gymnasiums across the country and this orderly process, and they just coordinated that shit, that was kind of inspiring. You know, I got an email yep. telling me where to go. I lined up. And, like, it was in and out. Like, that was – and it, there were these friendly, lovely people, all these nurses and, and professionals who were there to help. Like, you know, and, and we need to not forget those moments. The same way I've said for years, like – we need to have a public service day where we're reminded about all these wonderful public works prog- uh, projects and swimming pools and subways and infrastructure that were built by the government. These beautiful yes. tiled, you know, and they're not just like thrown up. They're gorgeous and beautifully designed and they've got lovely murals in our courthouses and all of this stuff that should, that should be the source of our pride in our country. The fact that we have so many people here with all of these skills that have been able to make our country more beautiful for us to live in. Yep. And I want to sit in this moment and like figure out how to maximize that feeling because people, let me tell you, people are feeling live. They are lit and in the streets and excited about this. And I just really hope we're able to stick this landing. Well, I, I think that we will be able to if we continue to have good, smart conversations like the ones that happen here on your show and the ones that happen on rising, even when it's it, even when it's a heated debate, it was it, I, it was I, watching it was a joy to see that so well done. So kudos I, to you and congratulations! It's nice to be able to take a win. It is enjoy it. Is it. Nice. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate that. I appreciate you. Yeah, you have a good night. You too. All right, Jonathan, I was inclined to hang up since it's coming up at 830, but I, I've got to hear from you, and I'm also tempted to keep going through Sylvester. How are you doing? Well, I would, I would be, too. I love Sylvester. <laughs> uh, the, uh, like, honestly. Oh, no, I didn't do that, Jonathan. Get, get back in the queue, and I'll call back, you back up. I'm going to try uh, Janice Tuka, who I forgot about. Yay. Did it work? It did work. What's on your mind? Yes. Hey, <laughs> thank you. Um, so I don't know. So 
I am as happy and excited about this win, but I feel like a sort of like mixed feeling because I'm also feeling like I'm feeling a little bit like upset and depressed at the same time. Mm, tell me about and, because um, I feel like as a black woman, right, mm-hmm. like we're the most loyal base of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. and we are suffering the most from student loan debt. Um, and I, and I can say that I'm an attorney, I have student loan debt, um, you know, I'm in the public service loan program, but I just felt like, right. As I would just say black Americans, you know, our wealth has not grown since the 1960s, -hmm. right. Literally zero growth. Mm -hmm. So black Americans, I think are sort of rightfully upset about the fact that all student loan debt wasn't forgiven. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking about the fact that, you know, my grandfather, other people's grandfathers, right. We, they went to war and fought who were supposed to get the GI bill funding, right. We, the GI bill promised soldiers full scholarships and mortgage payments. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, white men in Congress, you know, basically denied it, reversed that. And so, you know, millions of black men didn't get, that GI Bill scholarship, right? Mm-hmm. And so many of us, like myself, are first-generation college students, right? We're in debt, but if I had my grand- grandfather, great-grandfather had the opportunity to have that scholarship, we would have been three generations into college, and our trajectory would have been different, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it just feels for me like, you know, gosh, this was such an opportunity to recognize sort of some of the structural racism that we've faced from you know, the GI Bill funding to like literally our Black Wall Streets and economic centers being destroyed, right? Like literally some of them burned to the ground like Tulsa. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I'm just thinking like there's subprime mortgage schemes that preyed on Black families. There's redlining neighborhoods that purposely sort of kept Black people out of wealth and sort of, it just feels like we've been sort of stymied at, at every turn. And like, I wanted this to be an opportunity where we like really, like did something big to close the racial wealth gap. And I know mm-hmm. the 10,000 is great, but like all student loan debt for us was just, I think it's just so pivotal because, you know, we, we hold a lot. Right. So this is going to be like interest rate for most yeah. of us. Yeah. And I just, you know, but I want to give, so I'm just so conflicted in emotion. Right. I don't want to feel guilty for like, no, you shouldn't feel guilty. Right You're now. entirely right. A hundred percent. And that is why, look, it, we cannot lose sight of the fact that, Biden said, I didn't say this. I'm not being unreasonable. I'm not being a crazy leftist. I'm not being a radical socialist. Biden said, Biden said to get people to vote for him, he promised that he was going to cancel 100% of of debt for people who went to public colleges and HBCUs. That's a heck of a lot of black people in both of those categories. I fall in that camp. Yeah. There you go. So the the fact, I mean, I saw the, the NAACP Twitter account getting a little gully earlier this week, but not nearly intense enough. Yeah. I was actually proud of them for standing on this issue. This is the first time, like, Mm -hmm. the, like, NAACP, who's usually moderate, has, like, stepped out on the issue. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) finally, we got something out of it. They they need to get a lot louder. The president needs to get a lot, the president of the NAACP needs to get a lot louder. And it's going to, it's going to have to take all of us together because they will throw us under the bus in the heartbeat. Biden will start ain't blacking people left, right, and center. We know it's true. So what we need is all of the people, all of the people that are so difficult to malign because white people have put them on a pedestal as civil rights heroes and all of this to Mm -hmm. have a united front to get him to fulfill his promise on that policy. Are we going to see it? I don't know. But all of these, you know, the Martin Luther King Jr. descendants who tweet out (laughs) and William Barber Uh and 
Roland Martin and, you know, Don Lemon, like every single person along the trajectory of left to right needs to be in lockstep on this one and not throw people under the bus as ungrateful or whatever. Because that was Biden's explicit promise. Exactly. And that's been the most frustrating thing is that they've sort of been like, oh, you guys are so ungrateful. You're not Mm -hmm. being and like as a black person I'm like look I am thankful we are grateful this is a win but at the same time understand that like we have to fight for more and ask for more because like you know that's all we we've literally had all of the structural racism in place that have sort of set us back and like for us to be at zero wealth growth since the 1960s mm-hmm. is you know it it further proves to me that like either our policies are going to do something about correcting the path or they're not and we need to happen for, for Black people especially, in a big way. And so mm-hmm. I want this to be a moment of celebration. I also want this to be a moment, you're right, I consider myself to be a Black leftist, but for from the left all the way to the right, that like we should be all in, in lockstep, that this needs to happen. It's one of the biggest tools that can be used to close the racial wealth gap. So I just wanted to add that to the conversation. Also say this has been a moment for people me to realize that some people really don't know like what has happened in our history and like mm-hmm. what racism looks like and like they're like you guys are getting handouts and like um some of this a, a lot of this is owed to be quite frank with you, Wait, did you, know? you see somebody had tweeted something <laughs> like i i i don't like handouts i've worked for everything i got my and then started listing a bunch of handouts like gi bill like all of this stuff yeah like, oh my god like, yeah <laughs> you're literally describing quote-unquote handouts like take a seat um so yeah you're yeah. Telling her, i was looking for the tweet while you were talking um from back when I was allowed to have viral tweets uh, about how if we <laughs> if we had oh here it is here it is from 2019 when I could still get a tweet with more than like 200 likes on it um, if we had canceled all student loan debt in 2016 we would have struck uh, shrunk the racial wealth gap between young white and black households households between the ages of 25 and 40 from 12 to one which it is currently or at least it was in 2019 to five to one. 12 to 1 to 5 to 1, just by canceling all student debt back in 2016. And I'm sure it's even bigger and the gaps are wider now. So point taken, and I appreciate you for the reminder, Denise. Thank you, and I appreciate all that you do. Keep going. Thank um, you so and much. And I'll keep listening. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you. Keep the faith. All right, Jonathan, let's try this again. Jonathan? I know it's not you. I know it's the app. I know you're somewhere pressing that button. Press, press, pressing that unmute button. Shaking your fist at Hello? the board. Oh, there you go. <laughs> no, like the whole app just glitched and closed on me. Oh, man. Like I had to reopen it and then you know, hope, hope I got back in time. So miraculously, I did. Yes. And, What's uh, on your mind? Well, I like firstly, I've been, you know, forget Dark Brandon. We've had Dark Bree back. Like this <laughs> week has been like awesome. But yeah, I like I wanted to to uh, lend my support on the on the debate today because you really killed it in there. And like, unfortunately, like all of these like libertarian incel types were just big mad in the comments. Like they were just they were mad because like, oh my god, woman talked. And like you, like actually, you two are killing it. Like you, you nailed it on the economics. And like the only times that you you interrupted them were like when they were actually saying things that were like blatantly, demonstrably, factually untrue. And they were just being mad about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. I am sensitive to it because I don't like perception is part of the game, and I and when you're when you're also the host and not just debating, it's tough because you have to have a certain degree of grace, deference to people. Also, Astra was there, and you know, ostensibly to make the arguments, but you know, it's not always. I think that I was thinking about it. I was thinking that Sparky probably would have been better in the debate, just, you know, attitudinally and like in terms of the posture of the whole thing. And Astra would have been better for a solo interview yesterday. But you can't always predict or structure these things and who's going to be good matchups. But that that solo interview with Sparky was so good. It was so good. And, you know, when you give him time, yeah, when you give him time, like he just, like he frames everything so well. And, like, obviously he's had these arguments so many times. Like, he knows how to, you know, just come out with something that just really drives the point home, like just hits you right in your gut. Like, yep. I really love that guy. Every time he's and, on the podcast, yeah. I take notes. Like, I literally like, okay, I'm going to say that next time. But, like, after it was getting in, like, the MMT points, mm-hmm. like, that all that was nonsense and things like that. And, like, the, the libertarian guy did keep trying to, like, talk over you and step on you, but... Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, kind of how these things go when they get heated, I guess. Like, it actually was a pretty good conversation. And, like, frankly, the the libertarians brought up the common talking points that you keep seeing crop up on Twitter with these people that are they're all, like, crying and butthurt, like the people we've been making fun of. Like, I've been quote-tweeting Mitt Romney with a picture of, uh, <laughs> picture of vultures and, and you know, because he's a vulture capitalist. And, you know, it's it's just, like... It's so rich. Like, this guy is talking about, oh, you know, giving these people, like, $10,000 and blah, 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 when, you know, this guy's got, like, five houses and a, and a car elevator and, yeah. you know, just, it's, like, and these kind of, same kinds of people were who were in the replies. Like, if you go in the sub threads, like, they're all, like, these kind of, like, libertarian incel types that just, frankly, don't like it when women talk. <laughs> and they're all but they're but they're butthurt about the topic and like it just it like I, I i posted a clip of like one of them where like they were they were pretty explicitly being like oh the women and they used for women like uh, a lipstick icon you know or asking for money blah 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 like i'm like these are the kinds of guys that are in those replies like don't let them gaslight you you did a pretty you did a fabulous job well, I appreciate you as always, Jonathan. I, I appreciate your support. Oh, you know what they say when you're giving a speech and you're nervous, you're supposed to imagine the audience naked or whatever? Not me. I'm imagining, um, what would Jonathan want for me? What? WWJD. <laughs> well, you nail it every time. And, like, honestly, like, you, you really, like, I, I endorse everything you said in, like, the first half hour of this thing on that segment. Like, 150%. Well, thank you. And look, I do, I collated a lot of those hilarious um, butthurt tweets uh, in my radar today. If people want to go back through, um, I tried to put a little bit of something in there for everybody. And then I, I did try to keep this nugget at the end, which I know a lot of people don't make it to. But I was going to start with it. And then I was like, no, I, I got to, I got to backload this because people are going to check out. But I really do think that was a good, de- it was a good decision. Like it tied it together just perfectly, like brought all these other topics in with the student loan thing. And I do think what you said a couple of callers ago is the salient point here, because yeah, we all agree 10 grand is nothing. Like most people are, are paying more than that in interest on their loans every year. Like I just made my last payment, but like, we're talking like, you know, I, I'd never completed my degree. Like I, 
dropped out of Tulane in like the Hurricane Katrina year. Mm. Okay. So like I just made my last payment and like with all the interest and all that stuff, it wound up being, uh, you know, 300 grand. Ugh. Okay. Like I could have bought a house with that and I'm an EMT. Okay. Yeah. Like I make bubkas for money and you know, it's, uh, you know, obviously I'm not sitting here being like, Oh, I paid off all my loans. Like what kind of sociopath would want somebody to go through that with that dead weight around their neck? Yeah. Like people, it's, people it's haven't cruel. Experienced it. It's hard to convey the psychological burden that loans bring that added edge to like, yeah, if you lose your job, it's bad. But like, also how am I going to keep up with my loan payments? It's just like another obligation. It's like another, another tether. And it, it is like the sort of Damocles. It had a psychological that even though I was, you know, an extremely lucky one to always be able to keep up with my payments, even though they were high, there was this decision-making, you know, leaving the law. It's like, oh, I'm about to take like a pay cut that's bigger than most people's salaries. And it's going to make me have to go to a cheaper repayment, like a smaller repayment program that's going to have me paying it for longer. And is it worth me paying back my loans into my 40s for me to go and be a journalist? Which, you know, it's a decision that I'm I'm grateful to have been able to make as an affirmative decision. But it's enough to make a lot of people say, no, let me stay in this job where I'm hurting people instead of one that's helping people ostensibly, maybe. Not to get it is. It's a form of coercion. Yeah. It's absolutely a form of coercion. And that's that's really, like, the thing I wish, if I could just use magic and make somebody like Robbie understand one thing, okay? It's the fact that, like, this isn't some random thing where everybody's making free choices. Like there are coercive components to economics and there's power components to economics. And this is the thing that never seems to compute with these people that, uh, you know, if you, you like, you're basically operating 90% of the time with a gun to your head. Yeah. Like if you can't afford to eat, you will get sick and you will die. Yeah. If you can't afford medical care, you will get sick and you will die. Okay, if you can't afford shelter in 110 degree Texas summer heat, you know, where I'm living, uh, you know, you will die or you will, you know, be certainly in very, very bad physical shape. You know, these are like these are elements of coercion in the economy. And like it's not a matter of free choice, like your choices, your freedoms are taken away when you're in that situation. And I wish I could make them understand that. But We'll just keep trying, I guess. We'll find ways. Maybe we'll something trying. say will magically sink in. <laughs> I told him today. I think I'm pretty close. I think you're. I, I can see sometimes I, I, these glimmers of him knowing inside his head. I think that I'm right, even if he doesn't want to admit it yet. And I said that to him. I after feel the that show sometimes today. too, and, and I wonder if like, it's my imagination. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Are we imagining it? We'll we'll see if I can get through to old Robbie. Okay. <laughs> he knows I'm trying. <laughs> And he's trying right back with me, so we'll see who wins the Battle of the Wills. But look, I appreciate you calling I am sending all my good karma your way. Thanks for having me again. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate you. Keep the faith. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, Sylvester, unmute yourself and bring us home. I just want to say first, I see some new faces that I really would like to get to. Elle, I see a little gender diversity with Cynthia in the back. John seems like a new face. Ryan seems like a new face. Keith. I'm going to prioritize all of the new people on uh, the new stream. Sylvester? Hello? Are you with us? Hey, I'm still, I think, hearing John in the background. Sometimes that happens. So, John, if you can mute yourself. There you go. Oh, wait. 
Yeah, there you go. So Sylvester, okay, speak to thought me. We had the, thought we had the Holy Trinity for a second. Um, <laughs> off the call, so it was just the two of us. Um, yeah, no, I mean, if you want to get to somebody new, I feel like I talk to you all the time. I don't. I mean, do, are you abdicating? Because I'm just, you know, you want to say your piece real quick. What? <laughs> And then I'll let well, you Well, now you're your glitching, so I'm just going to next you for that reason. Oh, damn. That's how you feel? Sylvester, <laughs> <laughs> so I can barely hear what you're saying. You're clear now, though. You're really? clear now, though. Okay. I was like, okay, Dark Bree really is right now. This is what we're doing. <laughs> that guy, Biden, got everybody following the trend. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know what I was wondering? Because obviously, you know, uh, not enough we know it's not enough but it's you know it's something to build off of that's what you you know you got to do sometimes but what i'm wondering is and what you think about it is how do we transition this conversation into tuition free college so that we don't just fall into the same thing <laughs> like that's a great the- question that is a great question and that was the subject of today's radar so today's radar was hey yokels I hear you've been big mad that this doesn't get at the root of the problem. I agree. So let's talk about how to get rid of the root of the, get at the root of the problem. It's it's supporting this free uh, free public college bill that Bernie introduced back in I think 2019, and it caps interest rates at 1.88 percent. It makes college and universities free and pays for it with a small transaction fee on Wall Street tr- trades. It is as our former president Donald J. Trump would say. A perfect bill. <laughs> and it's right there. And it's like anybody who challenges you, well, it doesn't get to the root of the problem. Say, okay, are you going to call your congressperson and ask them to support this bill? Are you going to publicly support this bill? Are you going to push for this bill? Are you going to vote for presidential candidates to support this bill? Just shut them up. Straight like that. Yep. Now, now, now is, uh, do you know if the debt collective Astra, are they – or are they just focusing on the debt side of it? Like just making sure that that's not there. You know, you can't do everything, but. um. Well, no, I think they're pushing. I definitely saw her tweeting about, and I should have her back on. Um, but they're definitely pushing for both full cancellation and free public college. They're definitely pushing for those things as well. How, what, what that looks like or what form that's going to take. Cause they think strategically, they obviously have been focusing on the debt part and still don't want to let that stop. Because they're work, they're still pushing for full cancellation. Full okay, um, yeah. But it's worth having a conversation with her on the podcast, perhaps about what the new strategy is going forward. Right, yeah. and also because, the moratorium you know, ends at the end of the year, and that's oh, that's not great. You think he's serious? You think he's serious about that one? We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I, I think he's going to be more serious about this one than anyone he's ever done, because at least this time. He can say you're ungrateful snobs. Yeah, like you're ungrateful wretches for complaining because I did give you something. That's so annoying. All I know is that I got. I'm I'm preparing. I'm preparing my little lump sum. (laughs) You know, I'm saving up my little lump sum to be ready in case it starts up again. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not doing no more interest. (laughs) So, but you know, for obviously for most people. I mean, all the people, all my friends, everybody who's ha- who still has those six-figure or close to six-figure balances who were able to save some during COVID like I was able to do. I mean, or during the moratorium the way that I was able to do, but maybe mm-hmm. not enough to pay it all off. That's still a really big deal, you know? So the fight's not over. Right. No, 100%. And and then I, w- I was wondering, 
Cause you, when did, when would you say you really like began to become politically active? Bernie, to be honest. Bernie, so the sixteen. Mm-hmm. I I remember. Okay. You know, I remember it being two thousand and fifteen, and I don't forget who said they were arguing with people in their office, but I was in this office of people who I thought we were all good liberals together until they started opening their mouth and saying the dumbest stuff in the context of that primary. And I didn't even come into the primary like, oh, I know who Bernie is and I like him. My mom had to put me on to Bernie. And I remember watching the primary debates kind of as a blank slate. Like, oh, you know, Hillary's kind of a pill. I didn't love how she behaved with Barack Obama, but let's just hear these people out. And immediately being struck by the clarity of Bernie's message and his willingness to say the obvious moral thing, which is such a rare quality. Mm. And it made me feel empowered to actually turn my beliefs, my moral beliefs, which I thought were apolitical and just values and express them in the context of the political sphere. 16. Okay. That was 16. And then would you, Michael Brown, that was 07. Was that 07? Hmm. Wasn't it a little bit later than that? Was it? Let me, okay. Let me let give me it a Google. I feel like that was a. Uh... Oh, that was fourteen. Yeah, it was. I feel like it was after law school, not after college. That was fourteen. Okay, so that was right before two thousand sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm trying to, you know, because I feel like I really got active, you know, like twenty twenty. Like before then, mm-hmm. I was just like, you know, vote blue, no matter who. Um, and and if I didn't. I'd vote for you. I'd vote for the president. I vote for the president and anything else I didn't know. If you were uh, a woman and a minority, I would vote for you. That was like, <laughs> like I figured, hey, listen, you know, give them a try. Everybody else been, you know, fucking up. Let me go ahead and mm-hmm. give them a try. So, um, so like something that I'm seeing, well, basically any mass movements that have happened like in the streets, unfortunately, it seemed like only get sparked off when somebody black gets killed. Um, and I'm trying to picture because this is really my first time being active in this space. I'm trying to picture and, or even try to remember what did organizing look like in between those moments before 2020 and after Michael Brown, you know, before these, you know, big, big mass movements. I can't really recall. I don't know if you know what it looked like. You know, that's another good reason to have Astra on because she was a part, the Deck Collective came out of Occupy Wall Street. And I was mm. like, not really hit to the game at that point. Like, I remember having, being sympathetic and like liking what they were doing and feeling frustrated that the media narrative was that, oh, they don't really have a real demand and, you know, really rooting for them. But I wasn't like in the place where I was going to go camp down there. In fact, I had just started my job. <laughs> I remember I had just graduated in 2011. And I was doing a clerkship for my first year working in downtown Brooklyn, but my firm that I was going to was like a block from wall street in the old AIG building, which LOL, it was like half empty the whole time I worked there because AIG had just (laughs) collapsed and they they even had to shut down the cafeteria because there weren't enough people in the building to like justify the cafeteria being open. So I remember thinking, Oh Lord, am I going to have to be traipsing down past all these these uh, protesters to go to my horrible corporate law job. This is going to be humiliating. And it, they, it had kind of petered out by the time I actually started to work in 2013. But mm. you know, that, that was, that was the headspace I'm in, but Astra was a part of that movement. And Astra, I think was politicized yeah. in part through Occupy. And there's a whole other generation of people um, who, you know, Gen Xers who were occupied, who were politicized in the WTO protests and all of that denuclearization stuff in the nineties. But we don't have like, 
I mean, it's a, it's a real shame that we don't have more institutional history about this stuff because we're not reinventing the wheel here. Yeah. No, and that was 2011. Occupy was 2011. Mm-hmm. Brown was 2014. And then George Floyd was 2020. So it's like, it's almost like, I don't know. It's almost like we, it's almost like we're in a space where I feel like we, one, I really, I, I, it's really tough. I, I, I really feel bad. I'm, and I'm sorry. I feel bad that I wasn't, because, you know, there were people who were caring about all this stuff before, like, it, you know, we got hit to it. And I feel bad about the lonely place they might have been in, because at times you can feel like that right now coming off of, mm-hmm. like, the George Floyd protests and the lull. And it's just like, how do you get people to have capacity and bandwidth now that the world is like reopened again? Um, so I'm like, damn, is this what y'all was going through? And y'all was like holding the torch, like waiting on us to get here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that part, you know, it, it's, it's tough, but then it's, you know, obviously like now it, it, it seems like we're in this place where we're like, I think part of the job is prepping the table for that. When that moment does come, um, and it is time to get in the streets. We don't have like a repeat of what, you know, this year looked like where all that revolutionary energy got funneled into like vote Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 100%. And it, you know, and it, you know, and it's more of that, okay, let's disrupt capital, that type of thing. And like, you know, be more organized in that approach. And I don't know, and we, we can end off this. Um, I don't know. Do you feel like you see something on the horizon that could be that, galvanizing thing or is it just going to be one of those things like it'll just hit us when it hits us and we just hopefully be ready when it comes i mean sometimes things blindside you but when i say i feel the revolutionary potential in student debtors and the anger that exists around student debt and other kinds of usurious debt i mean it if people are going Mm -hmm. to try to straw man this moment and say medical debt we should cancel medical debt then we should be ready to say Hell fucking yeah, we need to cancel medical debt. And here's it. But the same way that I was talking about with that, we need to have draft legislation for canceling the FBI. We need to have draft legislation for for canceling medical debt and every other thing that these bad faith actors want to throw up at us. And when they don't do it, we need to be prepared to show them what the consequences are. And that means withholding your vote, withholding your labor. There's, you know, the general strike was trending a day or two ago because of events happening in England. I reached out to some folks hoping to get some labor leaders or labor journalists on at least to talk about what's going on there and try to see what the conditions are for here. Because you know how it is in America. If you say the word general strike and half the DSA gets all all up in its haunches and says, how dare you have a general strike? I didn't approve. (laughs) I didn't approve you to do a podcast stream of what a general strike is, you know? (laughs) So we got to get past that nonsense. But, you know, I'm hoping that the positivity of this moment, I can feel it already. Like, I'm seeing people who have not been like tweeting at each other and retweeting each other and been friendly, like basically with the internet equivalent of their arms around each other at this moment, because it does feel good. I'm feeling a sense of solidarity with people who I've been a little irritated with for quite some time, because this just feels like a big warm cloud of goodness and potential. And like, we're not losers and like everything isn't a loss. That, that would, that would be dope because so much of like, unfortunately just the way it is and just, just what this country does is like so much of what we have to organize against, it feels like it's fueled by like hate and anger. Mm-hmm. Um, but then like when you're talking about, about like the joy that I really do, I feel, and I see that too. And it's, um, now this isn't, you know, I try to read when I can, but you know, when it comes to all the Marxist, like, I'm not into all that, but I was reading mm-hmm. Bell Hooks recently um and i'm part of this reading circle reading all about love 
Um, mm. And it, it it's just really talking about how, how foundational it is and who we are without it. And basically like we're nothing without it. And one of the discussions that were like that came up is that why can't it be something where we organize more about love and the things that we're for and how you're connecting to other people. And you're like, like anyone who has a strong man is just like, nah, we let's do that too. And then that bridges, you know, it, it creates a bridge between different movements and people fighting for different things and bringing them together for one common thing that, Hey, listen, let's like, like everybody can be free. It ain't gotta be just us. It ain't just gotta yeah. be this one thing. Um, and that, I think that's something that's, that is actually more sustainable. That hate's gonna burn you out, but love, yeah. I think, is something that you can ride out on. I I think that's entirely right. I think that's entirely right. And that I think that's a good note to close out to on, on too. <laughs> I can't remember that song. Come on, you know the song I sometimes play. Who is it? It's layer dun dun as we spin around. Who sings that? Um. So we we will be free. Wait. Wait. One day we'll all be free. Oh, you thinking about another song? Yeah, Donny Hathaway. Donny Hathaway. Donny Hathaway. Yeah, that's that's my boy. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I'm sorry. That was a little. (laughs) This is the smoothest transition, but maybe someday I'll have a producer and I'll give you guys the quality that you uh, deserve here. (laughs) Um, Let me unmute this. Oh, here we go. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you for bringing us home, Sylvester. Thank you for all of you in the chat. I'm going to definitely 10 out of 10 skip around next week, so don't despair if you're in the back of the line. This was a good day. This was a good day. Enjoy it. Take the win. Think about the revolutionary potential of this moment. So many people fought for this. I want to just shout out Astra and everybody at the Debt Collective, people like Sparky who have framed things for us such a compassionate humanistic way humanistic way all the people who came to the student debt protest in front of the department of education in april nina turner and all the other speakers there at feeney all the people who have tirelessly pushed this i saw someone promoting a clip of jill stein being dragged by john oliver for suggesting that canceling student debt was a real policy back in the day and she was entirely right everyone who suffered the slings and arrows and side eyes of neoliberalism because they dare to understand and fight for things that were basic human rights, regardless of how far-fetched and out in the future they were. We got a little taste of possibility today, and I look forward to running the ball across the finish line with all of you at some point in the not-too-far future. Keep the faith. Take care of yourselves.
I forgot I was on 1.25 speed. 